Awards time, and in honour of this week's news, we are introducing the brand new Super Paul Award. It means we're going to award a trophy to it, but it won't count towards the official record. Welcome to Bike Live. Let's go! Yes, for the final time in 2018, welcome everyone uh, to Bike Live, uh, episode 90 uh, of Bike Live here on Motorsport 101. And it is awards time, it is the Bike Live Awards of 2018 as we celebrate everything good, bad and ugly about motorcycle racing in 2018 in the form of nine uh, mildly prestigious awards uh, that we're going to hand out over the course of the next two hours. Some highly coveted, some much uh, riders will much want to avoid. Um We'll be celebrating the battle of the year, the ride of the year, and the rider of the year, whilst also shaming the fail of the year and a man, team, or organisation that we deem to be the loser of the year. I think you can all probably guess, even at this early stage, who that might go to. Um, mm. But we're going to have a lot of fun over this uh, this next two hours with Christmas on the way. This is essentially our year in review of everything that's happened on two wheels in 2018. Um, and it has been a lot of fun um, with the MotoGP, Moto2, Moto3, British Superbikes or World Superbikes. It has been a lot of fun. We're going to have a lot of fun uh, sort of reminiscing over it uh, over the course of this week's show. Joining me as ever to do that um, is Andre Harrison. Dre, welcome. Hi, guys. Uh, for the final time in 2018, I am here. I dressed up for the occasion. I brought out my Galaxy Brain Meme Real Madrid shirt to go with my suit and tie. But unfortunately, I spilled a can of Dr. Pepper all over myself. Um, which, to be fair, would actually be like a really, really funny way of celebrating the year in review by um, basically being a hot mess, which is probably most of bike racing this year. So, you know, needs must. Yeah. <laughs> it has been a fantastic year. It's been a year where we haven't really had any championships in particular that have gone all the way down to the wire. In fact, not a single of the big five championships that we cover has had a final round decider. Um that's gone right the way down to the final race. We had BSB go to the final weekend before Haslam went on the Saturday. Moto2 and 3 were decided a race early. MotoGP was decided three races early. Uh, and World Superbikes was decided about half a year early. Um, but it has been, without, with all that said, it has been a tremendous year uh, of motorcycle racing. But there have been negatives that we will uh, touch on uh, through the course of this show. As I, celebrate, as I mentioned, it's uh, a show where we celebrate everything good, bad and ugly uh, about motorcycle racing in a calendar year um before we get on to the first of the awards uh the places you can find us uh facebook.com forward slash motorsport 101 twitter we are at motorsport underscore 101 um you can also follow us individually at lewis sudderby 23 and at harrison 101 hd uh you can also find us on youtube youtube.com forward slash motorsport 101 and our website is motorsport101.com keep an eye on that in the run up to christmas as dre begins his formula one season review series uh, of pieces mm -hmm. um you can also back us financially on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. And if you do so at the $5 level, you earn yourself early access to both of our weekly shows. We'll talk about Motorsport 101's latest recording in a moment. Um, but if you back us at the $10 level, you can have access to our Discord server and listen to this podcast live as it's recorded, um, which is quite an honor this week because you actually get to influence the awards that are handed out um, mm. by joining us on the live chat. Um, but if you joined us 24 hours ago as it is now, um, you'll have listened to episode 173 of Motorsport 101, the Formula 1 season review entitled End Game, um, where someone may have handed Valtteri Bottas 10 out of 10 for his 2018 season. 
Um, besides all of that, though, um, a lot of sense was spoken. Um, as Dre, as King tells me to get out, uh, have a guess who it was um, who said that. Um, Never. Dre, it has to be said, um, a pretty good Formula 1 season, all things considered. And um, you managed to uh, shoot the breeze with King and RJ for two and a half hours about very that the said season. Uh, just last Yeah, week. got it. Yeah, got it. Clocked in nearly 150 minutes. We did. We went long on this one. Um, blame me for that one. I have a bit of a talker. I was, to be fair, if, you, if you've been listening for a long time, you probably already knew this. Mm. But um, yeah, in all fairness, yeah, like it, it was a pretty good F1 season, all told. Again, it's one of those seasons that I said at the end of the show. That, like it, it didn't have one of those balls to the wall all time classic races in it throughout. For the I think for the rest of the season, there's not one that's gonna. You know, one you're going to specifically buy the season review DVD for, but it was just a lot of solid races that was in there. And we did have a semblance of a title fight for a good two thirds of the year. And, you know, you can't ask for a lot more than that in an F1 season most of the time. And yeah, we went team by team and broke it all down in the 2018 season from, you know, Charles Leclerc's fantastic rookie season to the difficulties at Toro Rosso, you know, Force India had, you know, their back and forth seasons. You know, all the way up to obviously Mercedes, and you know the very difficult case of what the hell do you score Ferrari season, um, which which had all of us shaking our heads. Although to be fair, we were quite like-minded on a lot of the scores, apart from King on the Mercedes section. Um, so all of that, and you obviously see what I mean at the end of it. But they, you, all of that in a two and a half hour season review special um, of the 2018 Formula One season entitled Endgame. Uh, and that is available, yeah, right now. It is available right now. If you're listening in live, the early access will be available um, tonight. Tonight, yeah. By the time uh, this uh, goes off the air, and uh, yeah, if you're listening to this podcast on the uh, on the regular download, then yes, Motorsport 101 episode 173 will be available uh, right now. Right then, uh, to the first of our prestigious awards, and um, we're not going to um, have any like guest introdu- introducers for these awards. I'm not going to be Ricky Gervais and try and introduce Mel Gibson. Um, for one of these awards, um, but um, but we've got many many awards to get through. The first of them uh, is the most improved rider of 2018, um, as the title would indicate. It goes to the rider who we feel has perhaps made the biggest progress from year on year uh, in 2018. Um, and I've got two for this. For me, this was probably one of the awards I found the most easy to decide because um, mm. there's one standout name for me but um but dre you can have first go on this one you must improve rider of the year um yeah i have four names for this one and um, again i'm sure that you've got one of these four in here but let's see let's see where we go like let's throw some dots at this board and see what sticks um uh yeah very topical there it's december madness everybody (laughs) um welcome aboard um Alex Rins was one of the names I selected for this one. I mean, again, I was never quite sure about Alex Rins going into his first MotoGP season, um, coming up from Moto2. Where, you know, he had flashes of brilliance, but, you know, you know moments of erratic nature, especially the first half of the season. Um, his run in the second half of the year, I thought, was absolutely superb. So he's a, he's a name on my list for that one. Um, Jake Dixon in British Superbikes is, is one of the names on this list as well. Um I always had Dixon down as a great talent, but had not really been able to put it together for an entire season. And this year, I think he certainly did. Only really a magnificent season from Leon Haslam was what stopped him from 
potentially winning the BSB title at the age of just 22, which would have been incredibly impressive indeed. Um, Luca Marini in Moto2 is one of my nominations as well. A guy that was a bit of a middle-of-the-road Moto2 runner last year. Again, again, another guy that had flashes of brilliance, but uh, again, not real consistency in this year. Turned himself into a race winner. And I'd say maybe even title favorite for 2019 um, next year in Moto2. Shown incredible improvement, and especially in the last half season. Um, I think he's been superb. And Michael Vandermark in World Superbikes is, is my last name on the list as well. Um, again, again, Yamaha was fighting for podiums and like seeing Vandermark on the podium was quite a rare thing in 2017 and 2018. Um, he, alongside Yamaha, made dramatic improvements, turned himself into a multiple-time race winner, third in the championship overall. So those are the four names I had on my list. Mm, uh, yeah, we do have one each um, that we shared. Mm. Uh, I also had Rins down um, for, for the second half of this season. Um, the one that I thought was the obvious one, you didn't actually have, uh, surprisingly, um, and I'll mention him in a second. Um, but but let's talk about Dixon though, because I, I was I was going through my awards and I was I was noticing as I went through all my nominations that I had a distinct lack of BSB nominations on them. Really? Uh, so so <laughs> I was I was, was going to look for the opportunities to talk about a BSB. Um, but mm. but Jake Dixon, he he did make a step forward um, in, in 2018 because really someone had to because when we look at the early stages of 2018 mm. in BSB, we lost Shaky Burn at a very early stage due to injury, and we, we continue to wish him well. He's one of the big sort of sad stories Indeed. of the season that we we lost him um to that terrible back injury and we still don't know at this stage whether he is going to race again um Indeed. in british superbikes but leon haslam was already in a fairly strong position championship wise and it, it needed someone this 2018 season yeah. needed someone to step up and we should be thankful for dixon that he did yeah dixon was about the only guy who made it interesting in bsb in terms of a title fight down the stretch and it, I mean, by the time we got to the showdown um in september um it basically already felt like Haslam had one hand on the title already he had such a massive advantage um and the only guy in the same postcode and by the time we got to Assen, he was literally the only other guy eligible to win the title was jake dixon um, and I, I, was, I was always worried he was just going to be a knockhill specialist. And again, as you say, the, the field was such a blank canvas and it had taken such a hammer boy with Shaky not being around. I was thinking it was going to be Brad and Ray was going to be the guy. And it turns out it, it really wasn't um, on this one. It was Jake Dixon who was, who was going to step up instead. And um, yeah, the series needed a guy to step up. And I'm very glad it was, you know, a, a very young very talented um, Jake Dixon who stepped up to the plate for Kawasaki and the RAF um, reserves team. Um, and God, he landed himself a Moto2 year out of it, which, which you would never have guessed back in back in April when the season started wow. that uh, Jake Dixon would, would be transitioning over to the second biggest championship in the world. Um, so yeah, I'm delighted for Dixon. BSB um, needed, I think, another big young star to step up because I think, again, I think Luke Mossy was going to be that guy and it looks like it might not be now. So, you know, Dixon is a great and glowing endorsement for BSB and what it can do. So, yeah, I'm very, very glad that Dixon was the guy to step up and look what it got him. Yeah, uh, we uh, we mentioned Bradley Ray not so long ago. I think if we'd have been handing these awards out in the summer, Bradley Ray might have won this award instantly. Um, but, mm. but if I could throw one other name in there, um, who for me um, was my the first name that came into my head, and I admit this season I've become a bit of a fan of him, uh, Marco Bezzecchi, uh, who That's has a made a phenomenal step forward in mm. Moto3. 
Only had one full season going into 2018, which was 2017 on a Mahindra. And I'd only scored 20 career points going into this season. And 16 of those were in one-off or one-off wet weather ride to third at Mategi last year. But he pretty much, well, overnight would be the beer straight, but over the winter, he suddenly transformed himself into a championship contender. He led the Moto3 championship for a lot of this season. Um, mm. Although he will, I think, be the first to admit that he made key errors particularly at um, Assen on the final lap, at Mizano late on as well. He crashed out of positions where if he'd have just taken the points that were on offer where he was in that race, he would have certainly taken the championship to Valencia and possibly even won it. Um, mm. But for a kid of such relative inexperience, I mean, he's, he's, he's older than you think, Bezeki. He's 20 now. Um, he turned 20 last month. Where he, in Grand Prix oh, terms... So fucking old, isn't he? <laughs> he is so old. By, by, by the terms of the guy who won the last Moza 3 race we watched, he is. Um, mm. but, um, but but yeah, he's, he made an incredible step forward with a team not known for competing at the front on a KTM that wasn't necessarily considered the bike to be on at the start of the season. We were coming off of 2017 where Honda won every race in sight. Um, mm. he, he brought this championship alive and, and in many ways he was unlucky not to, to challenge for the championship all the way to Valencia because he was taken out in Phillip Island by Rodrigo. He was taken out of the final corner of Thailand by an Air Bastianini. Um, but, yeah, he's made a real fan of me this season, Marco Bezek. He, he, like I say, he showed quality and experience beyond his years and beyond his actual experience in Grand Prix terms. And he was really the only guy, Dre. Now, I know Fabio Di Antonio ended up pinching the runners-up spot and was always in touch in the championship. But it was really Bezeki that took the fight to Jorge Martin in a season where I think many of us thought or feared Martin was just going to clean up. It certainly felt that way at the start of the season, especially after Bez got taken out a couple of times early on. Um, I, mean, I, I think the one that sticks out to me most was probably Le Mans and can it be in a bit of a bowling ball um, in the first couple of rounds of the season. But you're absolutely right about Bezeki. That was a great shout that I overlooked on that one. I mean, Going into winter testing, we saw Bezeki's name. I think it was. He, I think he was third on the list, and everyone was like, "What's he doing there?" And we didn't really read too much into it. I think it was him and Tony Arbolino were the two big surprises of like winter testing, and we didn't really think anything of Bezeki at the time. Um, and then all of a sudden, just out of nowhere, he became this incredibly mature, incredibly fast like foil for Jorge Martin, a very different sort of rider, one based more in consistency and I think being a pest more than Martin's just sensational outright speed. Um, so yeah, a very different sort of rider, but still one that's equally impressive nonetheless. And he had a mountain full of bad luck um, along that season as well. He had it involved in a lot of incidents that weren't his doing and he'd always find a way to persevere. I think only really the one in Thailand was the one that seemingly hurt him most, because I think I remember that when he when he crashed out on the final lap, he was seen in his garage being consoled by his pit crew. I think mm. just questioning. On a weekend like, where Jorge Martin was riding hurt. Yeah, and like he knew how big an opportunity that was and how he was probably going to finish on the podium if it wasn't for Bastianini falling literally right in front of him. Um, and... I think that was probably one big crash too many in a race that Martine was able to scramble, you know, 13 very critical points um, by finishing fourth. Um, but no, I, I completely agree. I mean, yeah, he's a little bit older than the average Moto Freerunner, which is weird to say at age 20 these days. But like again, an incredible improvement and in, an incredible overall season. I mean, 
I, again, I thought Martin was going to run away with it this year, and it and Bezeki was one of the big reasons why that didn't happen. Um, well, almost didn't happen, I suppose, given how the scoreboard played out. But like I said, Bezeki was, a, um, you know, he had a, he had a fantastic season, and yeah, he deserves a lot of credit for not only his speed and his discipline, but also just his maturity and determination. It's, it's an incredible trait to have as a bike rider because it shone through on many occasions this year mm, he did um well i have to say i think Bezeki certainly deserves to be considered as does marini i have to say i overlook marini um but that is a, a tremendous shout particularly he almost improved within the year he didn't start the season yeah. particularly pulling up many trees but around Essen time he suddenly seemed to, to transform himself and became a genuine assistance to his teammate peko Banyaya in the world championship mm. we particularly think of the race in thailand where Banyai went on to win the race, and Marini would ultimately defeat Oliveira in a straight fight to take second uh, and take some crucial points away from him. Um, but actually, I think ultimately here, Dre, unless we have any advance from those listening on Discord, I think we probably have to go for the rider that we both agreed on uh, on this one, because the one rider we both had. And I actually didn't realise until I've just looked at the stats now just how big a transformation it's been for Alex Rins um, mm. year on year. I know he missed races in 2017. He missed f- five races due to injury at the uh, early part of the season, but he was 16th in the championship last season, 59 points. He's essentially tripled his points tally year on year, gone from having no MotoGP podiums to five in one year, including back-to-back seconds in the final two races of the season. 169 points, fifth in the world. And had that transformation come slightly earlier, Alex Rins could easily have finished third overall. Yeah, he again, he was more or less top-independent, even though Suzuki are kind of a factory team um, in that sense. But yeah, like, uh, Rins was phenomenal. And again, it could have been even more in, in, in that sense, in where, you know, it was... if He had a rough start to the year. He had a lot of crashes. He, he overdid it a couple of times. He was clearly still trying to find the sweet spot. Um, and when he did, he was absolutely sensational. Um... So, so fast and so impressive. Um, he improved as Suzuki improved and as Ian Oni kind of faded away towards the end of the, the second half of the season. Um, Rins just shined through. Remember, he was the third biggest scorer after the summer break. Um, after that cancelled race at Silverstone, um, he was... Behind Marquez th- and Dovi. Yeah, only Marquez and Dovi scored more points than he did um in in that sense um a, a phenomenal second half of the year one where he thought oh reigns was you know a a kind of patchy sophomore season to what ended up being you know a, a real rider of the year candidate by by the time it was all said and done um incredibly impressive so yeah i mean if this was a close one i think mean, there's two or three names that i think was a little bit under under that one but for me i think the one that stood out the most was um was absolutely um alex rins and i mean fifth in the championship for a 20 22 year old in only a second ever season is very impressive indeed it is alex rins is our most improved rider of 2018 and certainly a rider to look out for in 2019 if suzuki get their 2019 bike right he could well uh, be a rider who stands on the top step of a motor gp podium for the first time next year um now to one of the awards that i think Riders, teams, manufacturers, organizations, whoever, probably won't want to win this one. Um, mm. But I think we're going to have a bit more fun with this one. It's going to be a bit more lighthearted, I reckon. The fail of the year 
uh, formerly known as the blonde moment of the year, uh, way back when. Um, now, this has been won in the past by Alex Rins, actually. He, he was the first ever winner of this when he celebrated a lap short of the finish at Brno back in his Moto3 days. Um, uh, Jack Miller, I think, once won this for going through the wrong circuit layout at Barcelona. Um, so, <laughs> so that sort of tells you what kind of uh, what kind of thing we're dealing with here. Cam has gone straight in on the Discord chat with Marquez in Argentina. Yeah, the whole race of Marquez and Argentina could almost go down to this. AJ says, is this bike lines version of the floppy award or the golden cock? Um, yeah, kind of. Um, More or less. But, um, but I, I'm going to go first with this one. Um, and I can sure. actually be topical on this one. Um, because World Superbikes have made a late bid for this with their 2019 format. Um, what is that? Because yeah. they, they've decided to bring in... Now, I'm not against, per se, the idea of sprint races. I think the actual sprint race itself for the next year could be very good. Um, although it's going to have the same grid as race one. It's going to have... The grid's going to be decided by the Super Pole standings. Um, for those that haven't followed the news this week, Super Pole's going to change as well. It's going to be a single 25-minute session for the entire field rather than the uh, Q1, Q2 format that MotoGP adopts. Um, but Trey, race one, mm. it is going to run as normal on Saturday. 25 points for the winner, points down to 15th. Race three... Well, actually, no, it's going to be called race two um, on the Sunday. Um, it's going to be likewise. The, the second yeah. of the three races is going to be called the Super Pole Race. 12 points for the winner. Points down to ninth position. Mm-hmm. Um, AJ says he's already getting confused. Adam, that's not the worst bit. The the race, the winner of this race, Dre, is not going to have been considered to have won an official World Superbike race because it's been titled the Super Pole Race. So let's take a rider, for instance. Let's take, um, I don't know, Alvaro Bautista. Sure. Of course, hasn't raced in World Superbikes before. If he, on the opening weekend of Phillip Island, wins the Super Bowl race, he will still, in the official World Superbike record books, have not won a World Superbike race yet. This is nonsense. This is completely Even though he scores nonsense. championship points. Yeah. So let me get this straight here, folks. It's like 14 times 12. That's, 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 my <coughs> rough math tells me that's, a hundred, that's 156 points. That that could be dished out over the season in races that don't officially count. Mm. Like, I, I, in other words, a race does not count in the history books, but will have a major say in how the championship will be decided. The result That's will also not... set the grid for race two in bracket three that takes place later on the Sunday as well. Which how I think can, is, which I think is why they're calling it the Super Pole race because it's essentially a Super Pole for race two. Um, but yeah, it's bizarre. Um, it's it's as Steve has put on the Discord. That's wank. Um, yeah, that's the <laughs> way I'm putting it. Um, yeah, it, it is. It is a strange format. If they just said, "Yeah, we're going to award twelve points to the winner, down to ninth place," that that'd be that's enough. That that would do. That's fine. But to to decide yes. that it doesn't count as an official record as as having won. So Bautista's what? Bautista's going to win the Super Bowl race on the Sunday morning of Philip Island, and then. He's going to win later that day, and then we're going to be saying, oh, no, this is his first win. Like, well, no, he won earlier today. He won three hours ago. Um, yeah, so, it's, so it's, it's, it's a crazy... Like, like King made the point that Jonathan Ray could miss every Super Bowl race of the season, but win all of the usual standard two-format races over a weekend, and then claim he went undefeated. Yeah, he'd have a 100% which is record just, for the season. That's total bullshit. Yeah, because those points that he might miss for missing the 12 Super Bowl races could cost him the World Championship. Um, so uh, yeah, it is bizarre. So um, so World Superbikes made a late bid um, for this one. Uh, I've got the the entire final lap of the Supersport 300 race at Assen. 
uh, for the for the fail of the year, where at least four different race leaders went down um, on the final lap. Um, I forget them all by name. I know Danny Valle was one of them. Tom Edwards was one of them. And that Kun Muffles, the Dutchman, at the very last chicane, lost his brakes and went straight on the final chicane and crashed. That was the most ridiculous final lap yeah. I think I've ever seen. It was crazy. I think, I think there were six lead changes and five DNFs on the final lap. It was it was incredible, incredible. Um, and Luca Grunwald came through to win that race um, in the end. But So there were fails within fails there. Um, but uh, one uh, listener on the Discord has already gone mine. Gone for mine. Uh, Jason Poland actually did. Uh, my, oh, fail, yeah. my fail of the year is Silverstone when they told Aggregate Industries, I know, why don't you resurface our track? Oh, dear. Yeah, it was on my list as well, and I don't think there was ever going to be one that was bigger than this. I mean, for the record, I had Dorna during Argentina's grid yep. start on the list as well, um, basically giving Jack Miller a 50-yard head start for being the yes. only guy smart enough to get the tyre selection right. Um, and then basically, Camelo Esperalto was surrounded by by a flock of team bosses, like team bosses in multiple colours, telling him, you've been a very naughty boy, um, basically. But uh, Jack Miller was on the right side and always wanted to race, and he was given basically a fifty-yard head start as a way of as, as a way of saying thank you for getting it right. Um, that was on my list. Also, I had Aaron Canet's torpedo attempt in Argentina yes. um, um, in free practice there, which somehow he went unpunished for, um, which I still find that completely mind-boggling. Um, but for, there was only ever going to be one winner here, wasn't it? It was always going to be aggregate solutions and their resurfacing plan for Silverstone. A, a resurfacing so bad that it's literally made Silverstone unfit for purpose as a Grand Prix racing venue. Because since then, we've even had like British Formula 3 races cancelled. Yes in heavy rainfall because they literally cannot race in the wet at Silverstone now because of how much standing water there is. A fuck-up of unbelievable proportions, ladies and gentlemen. Um, and not only that, of course, getting an entire MotoGP weekend cancelled for the first time in 36 years. Um, but, <laughs> so, yeah, um, aggregate solutions, ladies and gentlemen. Um, somehow, I think they're going to be mentioned next week during the Motorsport 101 Awards as well. Just throwing that out there. Yeah, they they are the they are responsible for the fail of the year for the uh, the cancelled race uh, at Silverstone, um, and then doubling down on it by suing uh, Matt Oxley for uh, daring to report the news that they'd uh, they buggered up their, uh, their, their their resurfacing of Silverstone. Um, yeah, it was dreadful. Um, now then, this one I think is the one that we're probably going to find. One of the most difficult um, to decide on, I think, purely because there are so many contenders. We haven't had one championship this season that has been absolutely stunning in terms of, you know, I think, I think as you discussed on uh, the Formula 1 season review last night, I think for it to be considered an all-time season, the championship has to go down to the final race. The championship has to be the line right down to the final race, I think, um, which is why I think this season's Formula 1 season isn't an all-time great. I don't think any of the seasons on two wheels this season are, but there have been some all-time great races uh, within sure. it. Um, Dre, I think you you could have first go on this. I think ultimately we're probably going to be deciding between two, maybe three, but um, I think we'll probably have more nominations beyond those. But uh, but go ahead, your race of the year. My race of the year. I've got six on my list here, so I'll try and break each yeah, down quite quickly. Um, top of the pile for me, Moto3 at Phillip Island is an obvious contender. Um, 11 dudes separated by a tenth of a second starting the final lap of um, the world's fastest slipstream fest. 
Um, if if NASCAR had chopped their cars in like by ninety percent of their size and decided to race in some place in Australia, it would resemble something like that Moto Three race. It was absolute carnage from start to finish. And um, going into that final lap, if you're unaware, you will never guess who wins that race. Um, seriously, it is an all-time classic. It is completely ridiculous. Um, Moto Three at Phillip Island. Um, Moto GP at Assen. There's two Moto GP races on my list here. Um, Assen being the first. Again, um, if you ever want to introduce someone to MotoGP and how batshit crazy it can be, Asin is probably the one for you. Um, let's just say Valentino Rossi literally gave Jorge Lorenzo's back of his bike a, a French kiss, and that was barely on the top five of crazy things that happened in this Grand Prix. Um, Marquez nearly falls off his bike at the f <laughs> um, halfway through the race. Alex Rins almost bumps him off. Marquez and Vinales um, go dirt tracking briefly. Um, where was, I think, an all-time record over 100 overtakes during the race itself in a leading group of eight. Um, it was a completely manic Grand Prix. It didn't let up. If MotoGP was on ecstasy, um, it would be something like Assen um, for darn sure. The other MotoGP in the race on the on my list is Thailand as well. Mm. Um, it, it was I was I was flip flopping back and forth between Thailand and Bruno. I think Bruno. I think low key is now quite an underrated classic already. Um, but I, I, think I, that I went one with has Thailand. A personal uh, significance as well, doesn't it? Yeah, like I, I, I had to resist with all of my biased urges to put Bruno on the list for obvious reasons. But um, Dre was there. Yeah, I was there. It was and it was great. Um, but uh, I, I went with Thailand on this one again. A bit more of a conventional MotoGP race. If conventional is really the right word for a ten out of ten all-time classic. But um, basically, Marquez Dovi four. Uh, the reckoning. Maverick Vinales having the best seat in the house. Another massive leading group and. You know, incredible bike racing and tactics, um, all exhibited in the course of one race on a brilliant circuit in a in a brilliant location with brilliant fans. It it was everything you could want in a MotoGP race, right down to the final corner. Um, you can't get for much better than that. So uh, Thailand's on my list as well. Moto Two in Austria, I think, mm. um, is, is going to be another low key gem here. Um, basically, the two best riders in Moto Two in the world that year, Miguel Oliveira and Francisco Bagnaia, went to war um, for for an entire Grand Prix. They were the two best guys on that track by a country mile that day, and they were so. Very, it was so different in terms of style, in terms of where their bikes were stronger, and that's what made the battle so captivating. They were fantastic um, um, against each other. They they played off each other so well, um, and yeah, they 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 did a really really good job. It was it was fantastic um, in that sense. A, a, a truly great Grand Prix. Again, literally going down to the final corner to decide who won it. Um, on that one, and a couple from the Superbikes calendar as well. I, p I picked World Super Sport at Qatar. This, uh, the season finale over in World Super Sport, I think, was worth a mention. Um, the epic title fight between Jules Clazelle and Sandro Cortese going down um, to the penultimate lap as well on that one. Um, we've jo we love Jules Clazelle on yeah. this show, for those guys who were unaware, and it looked like Clazelle finally had a shot to win a Super Sport championship, and we call him the Great Wall of Clazelle on occasion because he's such a magnificent defensive rider and he gave it absolutely everything and then a bit more trying to win that title and ultimately failing. But it was a fantastic last 
um, last-ditch fight between uh, Clazelle and Cortese on that one. And the World Supersport 300 season finale in France, got to yes. mention as well. Um, if, a, if a Grand Prix resembled a Hollywood script, um, it would probably look something like the World Supersport 300 season finale. Um, where you thought Scott Derue was probably going to win the title and didn't. <laughs> like Perez almost won the title and then didn't at the penultimate corner. And the the cherry on top for what was one of the low-key most amazing stories in all of motorsport this year, Anna Carrasco becoming bike racing's first ever um, solo independent female champion um, of any kind and um, it couldn't have been done in a more dramatic fashion um, again if Michael Bay was right in a, a bike race as a movie it would probably look something like that so those are my nominations for the full race of the year yeah just to prove to everyone who uh, weren't already already convinced of this about how uh, I like Dre and I think uh, of the five I had on my list Dre just reeled off four of them um, and, and I have to say, I was I was toying with the idea of writing the Super Sport 300 finale down as well because of how good a race that was. The one other one I can add to that, I, it's not the race of the year, but I, I really did enjoy it at the time. And uh, I've got the Suzuka 8 Tower down uh, because that was, br- oh, yeah, that was a sure. brilliant race. Uh, I think that was about as good as you could expect an eight-hour endurance motorcycle race to be. Um, because mm-hmm. obviously of a race of that length it's very difficult to expect a race to go down to the final lap between you know two or three more bikes because it's a race over such a long distance uh, with so many variables involved um, but there were so many battles in that race between the 21 Yamaha of, of well it was pretty much Lowe's and Vandermark because Nakasuga was injured and it was pretty much Ray and Haslam on the 11 Kawasaki team green bike um, with Watanabe only getting a run out while the pace car was out um, so we pretty much had two sprint races within the, the endurance race of Ray taking on Vandermark and Haslam taking on Lowe's. Um, and there was very little between them until, um, ironically, Jonathan Ray went down on the uh, on slicks on a wet track. Um, that ultimately, and, and they ran out a few early as well. they ran out a few on their way into the pits that ultimately cost the team Green Kawasaki a chance of winning the race. And Yamaha went on to win it um, for a fourth year in a row. Um, but yeah, the, the other four that I had down, Dre's already mentioned them, so I'll go in reverse order. I, the Qatar Supersport finale, I've never known a race with tension like it um, because of the conditions, because the championship was, of course, on the line. The fact that we had a race with legitimate water splashes around the racetrack. Um, Just because, of course, because Qatar <laughs> isn't a track des- uh, designed for drainage because, you know, it's never... Um, really expecting it to rains host, two host. days a year yeah, out there expect to host like... wet races there um, so <laughs> the track doesn't drain um, the, the timeline motor GP race I have um, before we come on to the, the two that I think we're ultimately going to be deciding between Dre the timeline motor GP race not only was it a great race on track between Marquez Davizioso Vinales and Rossi uh, up at the front but I mean motor GP in its end of year awards has given this the race of the year and of course it's it's looking at much more than the race itself when it decides mm. that it's talking about the the circuit the facilities the the infrastructure the way the venue has received motor gp and pretty much this season borough around in thailand ticked every box i think it really did um like for me it was like i said it i said it at the time and i'll say it again here it was a breath of fresh air for, for the sport um, let's be honest. It's it, it, it's most Grand Prix. It's a Rossi fest. It is a you know it's yellow flags out the wazoo, and and merch everywhere. Thailand really wasn't like that. Um, 
let, again, like I think Sepang 2015 has had a lingering effect where booing has become a lot more socially acceptable in MotoGP against certain riders, um, you know, like Marquez, Pedrosa, Lorenzo, etc. Thailand didn't have any of that. Thailand was absolutely first class in terms of facilities, in terms of the uniqueness of the track. We'd already seen how well it can perform in World Superbikes on occasions, had a couple of really great races over there already. But MotoGP took to it like a duck to water. It was competitive. Um, we had multiple bikes from multiple manufacturers immediately in contention. Um, it just worked. Everything just clicked from from the culture. I mean, they really do love their bikes over there in that part of the world. And, um, Thailand absolutely embraced the bikes. Marquez did a brilliant job from a PR standpoint. Um being out there, entertaining the public, entertaining the fans. Um, and the fans were rewarded with one of the races of the year. Again, a first corner to last corner, wall to wall classic. Again, it's a bit more, it's not, it doesn't quite have the balls to the wall crazy that Aston had. But it, again, it, I think it ticked every box um, that, you know, makes a great MotoGP race. It was tactical, it was dramatic, it, there was drama, it was competitive. Um, and we even had a fantastic finish right at the end. I think it absolutely ticked every box and it, it made for, I think, a very fair choice for race of the year. It did, and it, it had 220,000 people across the three-day weekend. Um, attending the race weekend. It was including, uh, I think it was over 100,000 uh, on race day. Um as well um just a tremendous spectacle it's a, it's a venue i think is going to become uh, very very popular um over the course of the year i think ultimately though it's between two it's between ass and motor gp which was another of the most attended races over 105,000 people uh were inside Assen on the sunday to watch the the motor gp race it's between that and motor 3 at philip island i think isn't it dre and i think so I'm, I'm, I was really struggling. I was, I was very close to actually watching both of these races again to try and to sort of come to a decision. But it's, it's hard. I'm leaning. Steve on the Discord goes for Moto Three and Philip Island, and I'm ever so slightly leaning in that direction. What about you? Oh God, I, I was, I was leaning towards Moto Three as well on this one. Only again, like Moto 3's reputation precedes it. It's just an absolutely manic series that, that you know, uh, like I'd say we're almost any battles, given. Aren't we? Yeah, we're used to it in a sense. But if you ever wanted a poster for what Moto 3 is all about, it is that Grand Prix right there. The start that, of that final lap. We've had crazy, we've had crazy MotoGP races before year to year. That was crazy even for a Moto 3 race. That was the poster, again, the, the overhead shot when the final lap starts, when there is 11 dudes separated by a blink of an eye coming over the line to start that final lap is, I think, the iconic shot of maybe Grand Prix racing in general in 2018. It As Cam points out in this court, it is insanity amongst insanity. Um, it, it, was, it was ridiculous on every conceivable level. It didn't make any sense. Um, and <laughs> it, I think I've got to go Moto3 at Phillip Island here. Like, it's, it, it just stood out to me a little bit more as just an all-time ridiculous race where if you, you, you might not ever see 
again, it was absolutely insane um, yeah. to have, again, 11 bikes. So about 15 or 16 with a shot at the win on that final lap was completely ridiculous. Yeah, it was it was a tough one. I think we're just going to lean in favour of Moto3 and Philip Allen. The Australian Moto3 Grand Prix this year um, is our race of the year. And uh, for those of you who are listening, you might well have got yourself the, uh, the one euro uh, video pass for the entire winter. Um, that would be one of the first races. We'd encourage you to go back and watch. It was absolutely brilliant um the next uh award is fairly similar uh, although it's it's more intended for a battle on track between two riders um but you can argue that the uh the philip island motor three race was the battle of the year as well um but yeah the battle of the year um a battle on track between two riders could be a battle over the course of a season um if you wish we've given this award in the past to the shaky burn kianari battle that spanned over most of 2014 um mm. Marquez and Davizioso, I think, won it last year. Um, and I've got Marquez and Davizioso again for this. Um, it was one of my Shocker. three for their battle in Thailand, um, which, of course, went largely down to the final lap. Uh, Steve mentions their Qatar battle as well. Um, and he's right to mention that. That again, went down to the very last corner. Um, two riders who have the utmost respect for each other. And that's, that's really, well, we, we knew that at the end of last season, but it's continued into this year. They've... They've had so many close wheel-to-wheel battles on track without ever knocking each other off, without ever arguing afterwards. There's always been the utmost mm-hmm. respect and um, a handshake and a hug in part for me after they've had this kind of battle to the point that Marc Marquez um, won the World Championship at Mategi and was almost slightly disappointed that Davizioso wasn't with him on the roster. He said afterwards, he says, Davizioso deserved to be here with us for what he'd offered to the season. Mm-hmm. And he's right on that. Um, I've got one from World Super Sport as well Cortese and Clozel at Bruneau um, Cortese and Clozel could oh, well man. for the season be one um, because we had so many battles between those two we had the, the incident between them in Portimao where uh, Clozel was knocked off by Cortese who had his own crash and then knocked the Frenchman off um, and of course they continued to battle all the way into um, Qatar but their, their final lap at Bruneau where they both nearly came off on the final lap um, yeah, no, Cortese yeah. somehow managed to stay on, um, but couldn't win the race in the end. Clozel just held, held him off for that. Um, was sensational. But um, the one that stands out for me, and we Dre mentioned it in terms of his nominations for race of the year, um, but the abiding one for me is Francesco Bagnaia and Miguel Oliveira in Austria, um, and their mm-hmm. battle wheel to wheel that went all the way down to the end. And it was a, a battle between two riders that we knew it already because they'd both been signed up to MotoGP seats for the following season, but. You just watched that race and you just knew these were two MotoGP riders in waiting because it was a MotoGP caliber battle in a Moto2 race uh, between Francesco Bagnaia and Miguel Oliveira. Bagnaia looked to have exhausted all his possible options in trying to, to take the lead. Oliveira just seemed to have an answer for absolutely everything. Every time mm-hmm. Bagnaia would overtake him, he'd overtake him straight back again or he would simply fail to get the move done because Oliveira would be so good, not just on the brakes, but also out of corners. And then Bagnaia would have that one last go into the penultimate corner on the final lap where he would just slow Oliveira down enough to stop Oliveira from having a go into the very last corner. Um, and Bagnaia, in that little sort of tactical battle of wills, um, was able to take the victory just at the end. And it was a win that, I think, Dre, um, uh, as I'm sure you've got more nominations to add to that, but I think that battle perhaps was the, the key moment in the season, really, because Oliveira would not win again until the very last race. Um, in Valencia, by which point the title was already decided. I mean, to be fair, you already ticked the two major boxes I was going to tick as well, because uh, Cortese versus Clazel on Bruno was on my list as well. 
um, that was the most manic of the, of all the of all the all the World Super Sport fights, really. Bobby Thailand, where Mahias got criminacked on the final corner, yeah. which I thought was more amusing than anything else. Um, <laughs> but um, again, Marquez and Dovi, I mean, it is it is quickly becoming like the rivalry of GP motorcycle racing and almost like a new era of rivalry where I mean it's been Valentino versus insert name here for the last 15 years it's it's actually kind of refreshing that it's now Marquez and Dovi in in a sense where it's two of the the two best riders on the planet right now going blow for blow to the final corner on numerous occasions they are so equally matched but a rivalry um, that hasn't particularly split the fan base either it hasn't it's one where it's been basically grounded in the principle of respect more more than anything else um it, it one way you know they can they can beat the piss out of each other but still hug and shake hands after the race is finished it's not it's not you know you know encased in 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 bitterness or you know or, or, or it's been made personal at any point it's just the two best riders on the planet going blow for blow but never crossing that line where it becomes heated or it becomes intense or there's been an accident or anything along those lines it has been firm but fair all the way through and this goes for the last two years now in MotoGP where they've had five or six of these fantastic fights and and long may it continue but um, for me I, I am totally in the same camp um, as as you I, I think the the like the most iconic battle of the year for me, I think, was Oliveira and Manny. I, I really I do. I, mean, I I looked at that race and and I thought those are two future MotoGP stars in the making right there and then. They're just both just immensely talented dudes. And again, two very different riders, but still both world class um, at how they perform. Manny, I, uh, I, I look at Manny and it reminds me a bit of. So he's very metronomic, you know, an incredible starter, an incredible lap setter, a guy that if you let him get, you know, half a second in front of you, that you've probably already lost in that sense where he will just set a blistering pace and he will bully you into trying to chase him and go over the limit to try and chase him. And he's, he was able to do that on so many occasions. But this was the race that proved he can beat the other guy at his own game because Miguel Oliveira is, I think, the great tactical rider of the last two or three years. So we saw it in Moto3 when he was when he almost single-handedly clawed back a 90-point deficit against Danny Kent in the championship fight. Just through sheer, brilliant, world-class riding where he may not have necessarily been the fastest on the day during Moto3 weekend, but he would he would tactically was just so sublime where he'd always be in the right place at the right time. He'd always start the final lap in second and know when to pick his spot for an overtake. And he won so many Grand Prix doing that. And it was, it was good. It was looking like it was going to be a similar story here in Moto2 because that KTM was a rocket ship off, off a couple of was like turn one uh, off of turn one and off of turn two. It was so fast. Um, and he was gaining two or three temps just on that section. And it, just when you thought about it, had run out of options. He found the way. He bullied Oliveira off the apex at the final corner to win the Grand Prix. And it, it, it was Olive, it was going an extra 1% that was able to, to win the Grand Prix. But again, those, those two are future stars um, in the making. They're stars right now. By all mm. accounts, Banyaya looks like he's going to be an absolutely sensational rider in a couple of years' time. Yeah. 
yeah, he already looks like he could be walking into the top 10 straight away next year. And Oliveira probably won't have the same level of opportunity at Tech 3, which is a shame for him. But, um, but you know, if KTM makes gains, I'm sure he will alongside them. And um, it, it fills me with excitement. And again, the, the, the dentist and and, and uh, is, is in MotoGP because I, I, I said it from two or three years ago that I thought he was going to be in MotoGP one day. And it's great to have a Portuguese guy back in there. But for me, the iconic battle of 2018 for me was Bagnaia versus Oliveira at Bruno. And uh, I, I, again, that automatically made it a race of the year candidate. If you have not seen that race, because again, many, many guys here are probably only GP watchers, maybe maybe don't have time for the for the junior classes in that sense. Go out of your way to see it. The video passes only a quid through the winter. You haven't got an excuse. Um, go out of your way to watch it. It is well worth 40 minutes of your time. Hmm. Yeah, the uh, Banyai Oliveira battle uh, at Spielberg in Austria is our battle of the year. Um, now on to the ride of the year, not the rider of the year. That's to come. That's, of course, the award that we always say until last. Um, mm-hmm. so it is the big one. Um, but the ride of the year, this is to the best one-off performance in a race that we saw this season. Um, boy, there's some contenders for this one. Dre, what do you reckon? Oh, God. There, there's, I, I, there's the thing. I, I, I've, I had a lot of, you know, hard suggestions here. But I think three stood out to me more than any other. Um, I would say the, the three I had on my list was Bradley Ray at Donington Race 1. Mostly for the sheer surprise factor of it all. Um, we'd already said that Bradley Ray looked like he was a star of the future in British Superbikes, but that Donington race one where he basically beat the brakes off the field in that opening race in, in slippery conditions um, in, at Donington was sensational. And it was, it, it was like, hello, Ray. Sadly, the season probably didn't work out um, as much as he would have liked in that sense. But again, and that was an incredible first performance um, out of the gate for, um, for a, a ever-growing Bill-based Ducati team. Um, I have to give a credit to Lucas Mahias at Portimao. Um, yes. Because, um, because Very this... different kind of ride, but well worth nominating. <laughs> but uh, this... <laughs> this is one of the most unique and sensational situations we've ever seen in bike races, and I'm, we've both been watching it for the best part of twenty years, and <laughs> it's incredible. Um, and for those guys who who didn't see this, I will briefly explain. It's there's two laps to go in the race. Lucas Mahias is looking like the race has been lost in a fight between him and his teammate Federico Caracasulo. The final lap starts. Caracasulo bins it. So all of a sudden, like, Lucas Mahias is now going to win the race due to the countback rule and the red flag that's been deployed because there's been an accident further further back in the field. So technically speaking, the race is over. Lucas Mahias should now win. However, Mahias, in the time in between the red flag coming out, <laughs> now has a puncher. Um, and the rules are if... If, you, if the race is over, you have you have five minutes to return to pit lane to officially be classified as a finisher. So now, Lucas Mahias, who, by the way, is a former stunt rider, which I guess kind of comes in handy in, 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 in this sense, um, he has five minutes 
with a punctured tyre to return to the pit lane. Otherwise, not only does he not get to keep his victory, he's disqualified from the result. Um, so he, he has to ride like a madman with a, with a punctured tyre, falls over twice, actually cuts a part of the track to return to the pit lane to barely make it with, I think, something like 15 seconds left to officially be declared as race winner. Only at the time to be disqualified because they, they disqualified him for cutting part of the track to get back to the pit lane in time, which is amazing in a race that's technically already finished. And that's still um, the end of the story. It is the end of the story because, again, about two months later, um, Mahias' team had actually taken it to the Court of Arbitration for Sports, the biggest sporting court in the land, to try and get the decision overturned. Which they were successful in doing so. So Mahias came out literally as the green light was opening for first three practice at the final round of the championship. And it actually did have a hand in the championship because it basically it, it basically took a point off Lucas Mah- uh, took a point off Sandro Cortese, who would obviously benefited um from Mahias' disqualification at the time. Yeah, so it didn't it take a did... point off Clozel because he'd been knocked off by Cortese in that race. Yeah, it's it's amazing how things turn out, but uh, one of the most bizarre and unique situations ever seen in bike racing. Lucas Mahias and Porter Mao. Um, Steve got one of one on my list as well. Fabio Quartararo. Um, yeah, Fabio Quartararo at Catalonia in Moto Two, a guy who I nearly was... had him for my most improved rider, actually. Yeah, that would not have been a bad shout, especially given he was on a speed up. But yeah, I completely agree. That's a great shout. Going Fabio Quartararo, a guy who. You know, probably got an unfair level of hype going into his world championship career. He dominated the junior classes, um, the junior world championship. You know, he did. He, he was probably just too big for a Moto Three bike, and in Moto Two, this the he he broke off um, a big one there in Catalonia. Was able to just dominate that race. I think from tenth on the grid, and would go on to win um, a great ride from him. But for me, my I think overall nomination. For has to be Chan Onsu at Valencia. Um, I mean, 15 years, 115 days, his first ever world championship race, and he destroys the field in in very, very wet conditions. Um, um, 15-year-olds shouldn't be that brave. It's a terrifying thought. Um, And um, one of the most single impressive rides I think I've ever seen in GP motorcycle racing in general. Um, That was... Um, a sensational performance from Chan on Sue and and one that you know the world was watching sort of moments there where a 15 year old kid out of nowhere just steals a march and and dominates a moto free race and goes and wins it at 15 years of age it, it was uh an incredible sight for sure a so remarkable so. remarkable ride i mean yeah i've got a, i've got a few um there's a great shout that by steve actually quarter hour in catalonia that i mm. completely forgotten about um my first one, uh, Keenan Safwoglu at Imola. No, only joking. Um, but, we need, but, we, but we need to remind ourselves that that happened. Keenan Safwoglu um, went to the Imola World Supersport weekend, right, to bid farewell to his legion of fans and race in World Supersport for one last time, and then he pulls in on the green flag, green flag lap um, that none of us were aware of, apart from Charlie Hiscott of Eurosport, who got the scoop. Um, yeah, I mean, his team knew he was going to do that. Um, but yeah, Keenan Tofoglu, um, who um, is, to a large part, responsible for the uh, nomination that Dre's just made of Chan Onchu. 
Um, of course, quite rightly and quite sensibly calling in time on his career due to the terrible injuries he sustained in 2017. Wait till we mm. were qualified on the front row, looked like we were going to have the Hollywood finish for his career, and then he pulled in on the formation lap. Um, but if I'm going to give a serious <laughs> nomination, um, my other one actually um, does come from that championship. It was so good, we named a podcast after it. Randy Krumenacker at Acid. Uh, yes, who, who very much so. made Well, he didn't make the mistake. His team made the mistake of not putting any fuel in his bike at the start of the race. So, of course. So he gets pushed <laughs> off the grid, has to refuel, start from the back of the field, which is, I think, in a World Series swap field. It's mid-20s. I think it's around 24th, 25th. And he, he nearly wins it. He nearly won it. He came through to finish second, and it was only the Great Wall of Clozel that stopped him uh, from mm-hmm. winning the race from the back of the field. He was setting lap record after lap record and very nearly won the race. We called the podcast Um yes. on the back of that ride. It was, I have to say, it was my runaway ride of the year until Channel 2 did that in Valencia. Yes. It, it really was. It, it, I thought it's going to take some ride to beat this. And then Chan Onsu did that. It, it was just, it was remarkable. It was a ride that we, yeah, as Cap says, 15 fucking years old. Yeah, it's still, he's not going to be 16 until sort of spring of next year either, um, which is which is incredible. Just extraordinary maturity, confidence and talent um, from Chan Onsu. Um, a ride that even took his own team and his own twin brother at a back tray because they were begging him on the pit wall to slow the fuck down. Slow down, like, like, like again. He's speaking illegal um, for for, um, for Dennis Onsu to be on the pit because technically speaking, he's on the race because he's fifteen himself. Drake, um, he, he could win the next five Grand Prix in Cota and still won't be legally allowed to drink the champagne. <laughs> God damn young. Um, but like I said, like, you can see him. You can see Akiyo on the pit wall, and they're just saying, "Slow down with the arms!" Like every time he's coming through, it's like, "Dude, you're eight seconds in front. Don't push!" And then he almost flips it off on the final lap, and we're like, "I think everybody's hearts just stopped beating collectively um, in Valencia when he hit and he very nearly high sides it on the final lap of the race. I was watching yeah. with my head in my hands, like, please." Don't blow this now. Um, oh dear. Um, like that, that race I think took about five years off my life, but uh, it was sensational and uh, an incredible, incredible um, performance by Channel 2. Again, one of the most impressive performances I've ever seen in bike racing to be able to pull that off. Mm, yeah, it is. It, 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 there, there were one of the uh, one or two other nominations who I think deserved to mention. Um, I think low-key Valentino Rossi in Austria was one of them, where he, he came from way back on the field to, to salvage a result um, for Yamaha. You couldn't name any one of Mark Marquez's victories. If Mark Marquez hadn't ran into Valentino Rossi at the end of the Argentine Grand Prix, he might have won the ride of the year for that race because he was so much faster than everybody no else. Um, but yeah, it's 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 unanimous. Chant on to in Valencia, um, the ride of the year. Uh, now on to the award that no one wants to win. <laughs> uh, it, it's it's the loser of the year. Now, now this is the award that um, for those that it's not blindly obvious already. This is awarded to the rider who has covered themselves in shame more than anyone else. Fuck it, it's Romano Fanati, isn't it, Dre? It, it, it's Romano Fanati. Yeah, yeah. Why are we wasting our time yeah, here? <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll mention a few others as we go. Um, but it's I, I still now it happened three months ago. It happened at the beginning of September, but 
it's it's one of those moments genuinely that you look back on it now and think he really did that didn't he no no we weren't all dreaming that actually did friggin happen um i mean that well sh- that is probably the abiding that, that was the one moment on motorcycles this season that literally went viral it was it, it transcended sport it was it was front page headline news across the world yeah, it was on BBC Breakfast. That is how friggin' crazy it was that, like, like a guy squeezing another dude's brake lever during a, a motorcycle race literally was legitimate national mainstream news for a race that was taking place in Italy in a championship that would never get any coverage otherwise. Um, it was ridiculous. Um, it, <laughs> I've never seen anything like it, and I'm unlike to ever again. Um, it was incredible in the worst possible sense. It's one of those things where you, you kind of, it had to be seen to be believed. And I was like, did that just happen? Um, and it did. Um, to everyone's just horrified effect, that happened. And um, yeah, just an, a, an awful just black mark um, on, on the sport, which just didn't need to be there. And again, sadly, not the first time he's been a bit of a plank, unfortunately, but Romano... Um, just clearly just exhibiting some sort of problem, like whether it be mentally, whether it be just an anger problem in general, um, and just, you know, the lack of foresight that was going on there. I, I don't know what it was, but there is, there is, there is, there's hard to find the words to describe just how utterly ridiculous it was. And just a shame that, that, um, that he brought upon himself for doing that. It was it was incredible in the worst possible sense to to the point where he was getting a a, a request for attempted murder in the Italian courts. Mm. That's how that's how crazy this was, and you know that potential can of worms there. So yeah, it it, it could have been all sorts of ugly where that's concerned. So yeah, uh, woof. Yeah, I mean it, it doesn't, it doesn't make it any more excusable because of how, uh, or less excusable because of how good a rider he is. But what one thing that really frustrates me every time he does something boneheaded like this is, is is I think of how talented he actually is. He he could be such a good rider if his head was screwed on. Um, oh, no, so. but, but unfortunately, he continues to make these silly decisions, and and this one, of course, goes beyond that. It, this was just downright dangerous. This 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 could it, it is one of those legitimately he could have killed someone. Um, and it, it oh, sounds dramatic, yeah. it sounds exaggerated, it sounds over the top, but it's true, he could have done. No, it's absolutely uh, true. Because because Stefano Manzi, had he not had the reactions to you know keep his bike on two wheels rather than uh, on its side, he could have gone straight off into an Alco barrier somewhere at the side of the racetrack. And, and, um, and that's arguably the most baffling part. Like, like until that happened, like Romano in the road, had run the road earlier in that Grand Prix. Hmm. It's, and and it's Romano just... Panati was set to join that very team for, for next season. He was going to be joining Amazing. the forward team. Of course, they're now going to be MV Augusta. To, to, the point where, yeah, to the point where the boss of MV Augusta had to come out and say, if I have my way, he will never ride one of the bikes again. Yeah, we do not um, want to be associated with that kind of behaviour. Um, right. His team, Marinelli Snipers, um, pulled the trigger on him, understandably, uh, and sacked him. Although, it has to be said, Dre, because this story has been continued to move on, They've re-signed him for next year uh, on a Moto3 bike. Um, so, so Romano Fanati will be back in Moto3 next year and would, assuming he's got, again, got his head screwed on, will surely be one of the championship favourites um, because of how experienced right. he'll be on that, uh, that level. But the story has moved on a lot since then. A lot of 
time has passed, a lot of water's flown under the bridge, we've had a lot of time to sort of come to terms with it. It's not going to spur him winning this award. He is our loser of the year, Romano Fanati. But um, now that we're speaking in mid-December, three odd months after that happened, mm. where do you sit on that now? Do you Does it sit well with you now that he is going to be given an opportunity in March to resume his career? <sighs> Difficult question. Um, I don't like being judge, jury and executioner. And I've said it before. I have never been a proponent for lifetime bans. Um, I'm a huge track and field fan. Um, this comes up a lot in that sport because for those guys who don't know in athletics, most of the time, two offenses, the second time around is a lifetime ban. And there is a, a gray area when it comes to supplements. Some can be tainted. It's happened in mixed martial arts a lot um, where there's enough of a gray area where I think throwing out lifetime bans. I, I, I don't want one person to have the power to say your career is over. I, that's, that's never sat comfortably with me. Um, at the time, it was a six-race penalty, a six-race ban, so to speak, because, you know, um, there were six races left in the season and he had a year. It was originally a two-year ban. It got reduced on appeal, like a lot of bans do. Um, <laughs> you know, that happens a lot in sport where they throw out a really harsh penalty, and once the heat's died down, they'll reduce the penalty. And it... I'm not surprised he got re-signed. Um, he's too talented not to. Like He is a legitimate Grand Prix race winner. A legitimate title contender in Moto Three in the past, and he was always actually getting having it. a bad rookie Moto Two season until this happened. He wasn't, no. And like I said, like I said he, like, it's not like a backmarker has gone and done this. This is Romano Fanati, a, a prominent name in in World Championships in, of yesteryear. Um, and sadly, his reputation has preceded him. A guy clearly has management, but. As I said before, I don't want to be judge, jury, and executioner and say that guy should have his career end. I don't think that's, I don't think that's something that um, anything outside of a court should be able to decide, really. Um, so I think a six-race ban was, I think, about right. And the, I think that punishment and the way it's turned out, I thought was fair. I, I don't see what, what good a two-year ban would have done, really, in that sense. Um, but I mean, should he be back on the grid next year? And that's not my decision to make. Um, I just hope. I hope Romano's had to, had a good talking to. I hope the people involved are close to him. I said to him, Romano, don't fuck this up. You've been given a mirror opportunity that a lot of people would not have gotten in his position to be given a second chance like this, basically to to repeat history and. But I don't want him to be a statistic, and I don't want him to be a story of a guy whose head ruined what was such a promising talent. He's still only 22 years old, lest we forget. Um, so I sincerely hope he has realized just how lucky he is to have this opportunity and that he takes advantage of it keeps his head screwed on and focuses on what he's really good at, which is riding a bike. Absolutely. Uh, in short, I, I agree. I, I, when it happened at the time, I said he should go home for the rest of the year and, and come back next year. Um, 
and I stand by that. I think he's... I'd like to think he's learned his lesson. I guess time will tell whether he's learned his lesson. And I think he's now got to the point where he cannot complain if anybody says to him, this is your last chance. And I think this is now his last chance in Grand Prix racing. If he screws up again, he's finished. Um, and I think, oh, yeah. and I think he, would probably, he would probably be the first to admit that himself. Um, sure. that he's he's made such a grave error that, you know, you cannot repeat that kind of error twice. If you, know, if you do, mm-hmm. there is clearly something wrong that you, you do. You should not be trusted on a racetrack. Um, so, so we shall see. It, it doesn't deny him this award. And I have to say, major credit to everyone listening in on Discord at the moment for their alternative names for this award. Um, <laughs> AJ, Steve and Cam have also come up with titles, including the Hold the L Award, the Romano Fanati Award for being a massive Romano fucking Fanati, the Yora Prick <laughs> Award, the Platinum Cock <laughs> Award, the 24th Carrot Sweaty Helmet Award. This couldn't be Manslaughter if this went worse award. The I'm Being Tried in Italian Court Award. Uh, the, youth <laughs> thought, the Youth Thoughts of Pang 2015 was Bad Award. Um, and the I'm Going to Murder My New Teammate Award. Um, oh, they, they were all brilliant. Uh, we'll settle on the loser of the year. It is Romano Fanati. Um, go home and think about what you've done. Um, there were one or two other suggestions. Steve, actually, earlier in the show, did say Aaron Cannett, which is, uh, in any other year, would have probably been not a bad suggestion at all. Um, no. Because uh, what a disappointment he was um, in mm. 2018. Movie star Yamaha, as I mentioned as well, because, boy, did they screw the pooch this year. Um, oh, dear Lord. Their, their I, 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 also right. had, I also had Jorge Lorenzo on my for his basically his, his, his second half of the season being a total meltdown, basically. Mm. But, again, probably not with that not being entirely... His fear of block passes. Yeah, well, like, like, oh my god, the guy's like five feet away from me. Run, yeah. um, basically. But um, yeah, um, like I think the fact that that wasn't totally all on Lorenzo, all on Lorenzo for the season probably spared him on that one. Mm. Uh, yeah, it is Romano Fanati then the uh, 2018 loser of the year. Um, we've got three awards to go, and um, we can actually devote a little bit more time to these. Um, this next one I think is possibly the toughest, the team of the year. Um, in 2018 in motorcycle racing because <clears throat> there haven't necessarily been any standout teams that have flat out dominated a championship. A lot of championships this season that we followed have been dominated, but it's been one rider within a team who's dominated, whereas his teammate has struggled by comparison. Um, it's not been like in, in some series, for instance, where two riders finish one and two in a championship um by a long way you know like we've seen for for instance mercedes doing formula one in the past where they've been so much better than any other team in the series there's been no team in any series really this season dre that has necessarily been like that um right. but, but, but what do you reckon uh your team of the year this is a tricky one as you say i, I don't think there's an obvious standout name i mean we have people talking about this in the pre-show for example you could say repsol honda but then you could say pedrosa really fell off a cliff this year um, and you can make the case that maybe Marquez dragged that team to a triple crown. There's a case you can make there. Um, you know, Ducati uh, on paper probably had the best team, but Lorenzo didn't score points and Dovi made key mistakes in, 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 in critical moments this year. And so can you really say them, for example, um, even though they've probably got the best all-round bike on the, in the paddock now, a bike that gets the most out of a lot of its riders. Um, I got it down to three names in the end, and my three contenders were the Sky VR46 team in Moto2, 
Um, Banyaya doing a brilliant job over there for them, winning eight times. And Luca Marini's improvement has really brought out the best in him. Um, so that by the time they're at the end of the year, they were a formidable duo. It reminded me a lot of the old Mark VDS days when it was Rabat and Calio. And they were just an almost unstoppable force as a, as a pair. And Maverick Vignard has always had his hands full every week. Um, dealing with not one but two really fast silver bikes in front of him, um, which wasn't exactly ideal. Grassini Honda in Moto3 um, for the first ever 1-2 championship finish in Moto3. Jorge Martin, um, phenomenal all year long, incredibly fast. And DJ Antonio really did step up to the plate this year as a title contender and as you know, just a really, really solid um, second rider and again end up finishing championship runner up which you know isn't totally unfair against Marco Bezzecchi. DG was very solid in his own right this mm. year so free um, but I think my lead nomination is going to be KRT the Kawasaki racing team and World Superbikes um, for me Jonathan Ray <clears throat> um, probably the poster boys to what makes Kawasaki such a brilliant unit not only um, to, to, to overcome a big hurdle which was having so many revs yanked off them in the first place, um, having to develop an almost an entirely new bike after the rule changes came into effect, and yet the second half of the season, Kawasaki were phenomenal, and 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 Jonathan Ray found a way to make it work, and was virtually unstoppable. And you, we saw other great moments out of both riders, like Tom Sykes was again up there with 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 the usual set of top top tier contenders, and Top Razgatioglu was very solid as well. Um, in his in his second season in the top flight with with, with the uh, Pedarici team as well, Kawasaki is just such a brilliant you know overall racing team. Now they are the gold standard for racing superbikes now, and it's going to take something phenomenal to to truly stop them. At least as far as I'm concerned. So. Um, there's a few suggestions there. I want to see what you've got. Mm, yeah, well, I only had two, and you've made, named them both. Um, I, I Skydive forty six months too. I did think about that, but. Uh, I, I, probably for the same reasons I overlooked Marini for the most improved rider of the year. I, I didn't lame them for this one, but they are a good shout. Um, we'll, we'll start with Cristini and Moto3, um, who, as Joe mentioned, finished one and two in the championship. And they are a team now that they're pretty much one of the destination teams, aren't they, in, in Moto3. For any young rider, you want to you want mm. to get your foot in the door with Cristini because of how good they are. and They... Did not exactly have things easy this season. Of course, Jorge Martin had his injuries. And and we're probably not going to have a chance to mention Jorge Martin all that much in this in this podcast. I, don't, I haven't got him on my rider of the year list, although he probably deserves mentioning. But it gives mm. us a chance to mention Martin, actually, for, for not just for the Gian Antonio season, but for Jorge Martin to win the Moto3 Championship the way he did. He, of course, had a number of non-scores through the season. He had a lot of things go against him. He had injuries. He had accidents that weren't his fault that he was involved in. Um but ultimately, he won the championship with a race to spare. Um, and he deserves a little bit of time on this podcast, doesn't he, Dre? To, to look back I and reflect on Jorge Martin's season. And in the end, although it was very close, although both his own teammate, Di Antonio, and the impressive Marco Bezzecchi ran him close, ultimately, the right man won. Um, ooh, I, 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 think he did. I think the right man did win just so impressive. I mean, probably from the end of last season where he got that first win at Valencia, it was just like, okay, this is going to be a sign of what's to come. Martin's speed is unparalleled in Moto3. I've never seen anything like it. 
I would say, was it something like 17 Moto3 career pole positions? Um, and I think he had he nine this season. Now, he? Yeah, he has the all-time record for most poles in Moto3 history. Um, his 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 overall speed is just outrageous. Um, I've, I've never seen anything like it. Um, it's it, it was utterly incredible. Um, and he was able to convert it into wins on several occasions. He was he had he was the only guy in the field who had that breakneck ability to break the pack, and he did it almost half a dozen times um, last year. Where if the field were napping and Martin pulled the pin with four laps to go, he would he could break out half a second, and he was gone. And he did it time and time again. And I've never seen someone be able to consistently do that. Like Danny Kent might be the only name who's even close to that in terms of Moto3, where guys are just able to completely just rip one off like that and just go and just destroy a field that is designed to be close. Um, so Martin was unlucky. He, God, he had his fair share of, of knocks as well, riding in Austria with injuries and then somehow injuring himself at a massage table um, mm. before Thailand, somehow. I'd, 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 I'd hate to think what kind of massage room he was in. Yeah. This, is Thailand. this is Thailand, after all. Um, but uh, but uh, he, he he persevered, and he, he honestly, he was probably at his best when he was when he was hurt in that center. He was able to just scrape out big results like that, and that's that was the key to, I think, what brought Martin the championship. Um, he was incredible, and he deserves a lot of credit for that. Yeah, they're a team that pretty much had every base covered um, in Moto3 this season, and that they had the, the outright fastest man in the field, Jorge Martin. I don't think anyone um, will really argue with that, that he was the fastest rider in the field. He wasn't always the, the best, the uh, most complete rider in the field, because he did make mistakes. Um, but they had a rider on their second bike in Fabio Di Antonio, who was always there. He was not always... Uh, as far towards the front as he should have been, which is ultimately why he didn't win the championship. But he was so consistent. He, uh, I think he had more podiums than anyone else uh, in Moto2 this season. He certainly had more points finishes than either Martin or Bezecchi, um, because that was what enabled him to take it as far as he did. He didn't have the weight of victories, but mm. whenever um, Bezecchi or Martin were failing to score, Di Antonio was taking advantage to a point um, yeah. by, by scoring some points. And of course, um, finally ended his wait for uh, a first win. And, it's, it's one of the elements of the season that I suppose that we forget because there's so much that went into the season. But Fabio Di Antonio was the subject of one of the all-time great robberies this season when he had that win taken away from him at Le Mans. Um, oh, God, he, yeah. It was the race where we had the farcical time penalties were awarded for the first time, really, um, where we saw 1.8 second and 1.6 second time penalties awarded for riders who shortcutted chicanes, even if they didn't necessarily gain all that much of an advantage. And in Di Antonio's case... He slotted back three seconds, wasn't it? Yeah, he gave it, got a three-second penalty, which cost him the win and dropped into fourth. Um, and he he didn't gain all that much time. He slotted back into the position he was in before he was off the track. And in any case, he was forced off the track by another rider anyway. Um, so the it fact that he had that precise. win taken away from him was was a disgrace. He then would go on to take his first win ultimately at Bruno. I'm going to say tentatively without checking the results sheet. Andre, you were there. Um, I've. But, uh, <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was Bruno where he got his first win. He would I'm win pretty again. sure it was. Uh, he would win again in, in Thailand later in the season uh, with DG. So he's 
he, he got over that hump that was he was always having that leveled against him, but he was always the nearly man of mother. It was Bruno. It was Bruno, yeah. He, he would always have the podiums, but would never ultimately get over the final hurdle and win the race. Mm. Well, he finally did that this season. Um, but ultimately, Martin was too good. And, and Grassini were ultimately the class of the Moto3 field. Um, they were the one team that really had two riders up the front throughout. Leopard did sort of come to the party late in the season with Bastianini and Della Porta. Um, mm. But ultimately, Grassini were the class of the field. I think ultimately I'm probably going to go with you and go for Kawasaki uh, racing team and World Superbikes. Although it has to be said, Trey, this is a team that had its own turmoil this season. Uh, you're you're quite right to, ha- to highlight the the difficulties they had to overcome early season with the, the rev limits. But this was a team that was in the, embroiled in something resembling a civil war after Bruno. It's worth imagining because it's in my moment of the year nomination as well and that was Sykes and Ray colliding at Bruno and the aftermath of what that caused um, um, so yeah despite like I mean from a professional standpoint from a results standpoint it didn't actually affect the Kawasaki team all that much in the end thankfully um, although Sykes did not win a race after that yeah, after that incident again, was he? Yeah, he was he was never really the same rider again after that um, for better or worse but um no, like, they did have its own set of controversy. That clash in Bruno was massive. And we saw, you know, some of the competitive nature of Jonathan Ray come out a little bit in that race, where he was basically sarcastically applauding Sykes as he rode past the following lap. Um, both essentially blamed the other. And I think, I think if anything, I think Sykes looks back in hindsight saying, yeah, it probably was a bit more towards Sykes's fault on that one. Um, because he did kind of push Jonathan to the edge of the track and maybe a little bit more. Um, I, by... think I think it's easier to say the kind of things he was saying about Jonathan Ray when you're ahead mm. in the championship, when you're being absolutely caned from pillar to post by your teammate in the championship. Those kind of jabs are just going to come across as sour grapes, aren't they? It does. And, and like Ray at least backed his own words up in the championship and then we are basically... He would, wasn't beaten would... again. <laughs> Yeah, he, he he literally ran the table after that and and Sykes struggled and then was imminently released from Kawasaki as a result. So the timing of it was, you know, probably not not a coincidence in that sense. But uh yeah, a lot of the again, the, the shock factor of Sykes's comments and the uh, the end of the line, um, you know, regarding what had happened to him at Kawasaki and the he was he was so candid about how Perereba at um you know, at, at Kawasaki was somewhat to blame for all of that happening. And yeah, it was ugly in that sense. It did get ugly. And I think Sykes, I think, stopped giving a shit by the time the exit door came around for him. But uh, it was one of the real dramatic moments in Spikes all year long. And that was uh, great, a rare DNF for Jonathan Ray. And uh, the, 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 the cracks appearing in the relationship between the pair of them. And I didn't even realize when we had Greg Haynes on here at the end of the year that, you know, they were they were at each other's weddings and they were genuinely close. And it looks like, you know, there was issues there towards the end of their run together. But, mm. you know, maybe a little change. Well, also amazed me, as, as Greg told us on the show earlier this season, that a lot of the Kawasaki team were, weren't even aware of these interviews taking place at the right. second until they were on air on, t- on TV on Eurosport on the Saturday night. Mm. And members of the team were going down to Eurosport personnel asking to see the footage um, of mm-hmm. these interviews. It was extraordinary how that all broke. But uh, but I think Kawasaki Racing Team are the, the team of the year. And, and the, I think they're the team of the year, really, Dre, because of the team within a team. Um, team 65, uh, Jonathan Ray's side of the garage, which have... Um, just continued to destroy the field, destroy the rule makers, 
that continue to try and you know curb their their dominance of the sport and fail to do so. Because in Jonathan Ray, we have the greatest rider in World Superbike history. Um, but I think mm-hmm. in Jonathan Ray and Pera Reba, we have one of the great rider crew chief combinations. For me, it, it, it deserves to be mentioned in the same conversation as Rossi and Burgess, dare I say. Well, you can't argue with four consecutive championships and just a sheer reign of terror over the sport that, you, that you're trying to win and compete in. He, the, he's been incredible. Um, and... And Pereira has been a massive part of that, and I'm sure he's going to be the first guy to say that. He's always the first name up. Ray mentions in his winning interviews, isn't it? And it makes sense because he's phenomenal in that sense, and and they work so well together, and they had to overcome what was a very difficult situation there, and that was the rule changes, the rules that, for lack of a better term, were designed to stop Jonathan Ray from winning, and they still found a way to overcome the issue and go on and dominate even harder than they had before by the time the season was over. Um, it's an incredible partnership, and um, it's it's one that has brought Jonathan nothing but success. It has, and that success shows no signs of abating. We'll talk more about Jonathan Ray, no doubt, uh, in a couple of awards times. I think his name might come up. Um, but uh, for now, Kawasaki Racing Team uh, of World Superbikes. I'm pretty sure they won this last year. They've certainly won this before um, mm-hmm. here on Bike Live. They are the team of the year uh, once again for 2018, and it's going to take some effort to stop them next year with, of course, Leon Haslam joining that team. I think in many ways, Dre, before we move on, based on how the relationship between Ray and Sykes had deteriorated so much to the point that not only did they barely speak to each other and that they, whenever they spoke about each other, it was negative. And the fact that Sykes' performance is a tale of so much. Although Leon mm. Haslam is in the twilight of his career, I think that's fair to say, and that he's, he's coming yeah. away from the British Championship to the World Championship, I think this is a move that only strengthens Kawasaki. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, Haslam is British champion for a reason. Haslam world champion race wins podiums and even challenged her for a title in you know, I mean, back in yesteryear. He's as experienced in the championship. He knows what he's doing. He knows Kawasaki extremely well. Obviously, the rule set is a little bit different because of traction control and driver aids. And I know that's not the most ideal transition because it's a different ball game in the world in the world compared to um, compared to the British Championship. But Haslam is no nonsense. Haslam is a great team player. He will get on. And he's 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 had proven success at um you know at this level. Um, I I think it'll be a seamless transition for Haslam in the end. And even if he is only a stopgap for the Turkish wonder kid, um, yeah. um, further down the field, um, I don't see any reason why they won't be able to coexist. Absolutely, I think he'll play. He will hate hearing this because I don't think he's going to old super spikes to play this role. But I think he'll play the ideal no. supporting role for Jonathan mm-hmm. Ray. Um, which always sounds like you're damning them with fake praise because you're essentially telling them that they're they're not as good as their teammate. But um, I think Haslam will ultimately he'll be good enough to finish second to Jonathan Ray quite a lot next season. He'll he'll take points away from Ray's ultimate chief title mm-hmm. rivals, which are likely to be Davies, Bautista, and Van der Mark. I'd imagine to, to the, the likely three um, to challenge him for the championship next season. Um, mm-hmm. And I think on the days where Ray either has problems or just simply underperforms, Haslam, I think, will be good enough to mop up and take... I think Haslam will take two or three wins at least next season. Unless, sure. of, unless they, of course, come in the Super Bowl races because they don't count. Um, right. But, but I think he'll 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 be on the top step of the podium a few times next season at least, um, Will Leon Haslam, given that we're going to have, what, f- 
39 races next season. There's going to be a lot of opportunities for him to do so. Just a few. Um, yeah. But I, but I think he'll he will strengthen that team overall because I think he'll he'll provide just as strong a second rider, but without anywhere near the hassle um, that mm. Tom Sykes ultimately was providing late in his Kawasaki run. Um, a word for Tom Sykes as well, because of course he did bear uh, bid farewell to Kawasaki at the end of uh, near a decade uh, of service with that mm. team, which saw them um, return to the uh, top step of the podium and return to championship winning ways uh, with Sykes in 2013. So uh, Sykes will have a new adventure next year with BMW. Um, but Kawasaki Racing Team are our team of the year. Two to go then, and the moment of the year is next. And there are so many potential uh, nominees for this one. Um, I'll, I'll mention straight away, Fanati could be one of them, but we've already uh, we've already waxed lyrical, or whatever the opposite of that is. Um, we've, uh, we've already <laughs> heaped shame on him, so we'll, uh, we'll put that one to one side. Um, but there are so many others uh, to mention for this one. Um, some positive, some negative. Um, I guess the negative would be Rossi and Marquez tangling again in Argentina. And and Mark Marquez's uh, red mist that kind of came over him uh, in that race. Yes. That was a that was a moment that completely overshadowed Cal Crutchlow's victory, much to his chagrin um, after the race. Don't doubt me! Yeah. yeah, so much so that we spent an hour talking about the Argentine Grand Prix on Bike Live before we even mentioned Cal's victory. <laughs> because, Sorry, Cal. So, because so much else there. We, that's what we called the podcast. Um, but, but so yep. much else happened in that race, headlined by the Rossi Marquez sequel after their collision. Um, mm-hmm. in uh, in Sepang a year and a half prior um, and that was the latest incident which again saw MotoGP Twitter just catch fire um, oh, because God, of yeah. course the the two sides of the argument which are completely opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of they're never going to agree on things uh, Team 46 and Team 93 um, it's so tribal at this stage that they were never going to see eye to eye and no, if anything never. that just widened the divide didn't it between Rossi and Marquez that yeah. incident Um in, in contrast to their collision in Sepang, where I think everyone in the right mind that's not wearing yellow would say that Rossi was to blame for that. Um, I think most people would ad- admit and accept that Marquez was to blame for what happened in oh, Argentina yeah. this season. Mark Marquez himself admitted blame because he apologised to Valentino Rossi while Rossi was Straight his bike up out of the, <laughs> the grass. Yeah. Um, Didn't even hesitate to yeah. apologise. Um, he, he, he knew he screwed up in yeah, all fairness. he knew he screwed up and... Um, it still didn't allow him to get into the Yamaha garage when he tried to apologise because Uccio and Lingjaris were uh, playing the role of nightclub bouncers and trying to stop him getting Security in. Security guard Uccio, yeah. yes. So, um, so Marquez was unable to offer his apologies and uh, as we saw at Mizano later in the year, if he had offered a hand to shake hands, Rossi would have refused it. Um, so in any event, um, a few others. Um, Jacob Cornfile's uh, jump at yes. Le Mans has to be one. Yeah. Um, yes. Another of those moments this season where MotoGP or motorcycle racing and Grand Prix did go viral. Um, everyone, it was on the BBC News website. Everyone was talking about that. Um, the the moment um, of Jacob Cornfile's stunt riding, essentially, um, mm-hmm. here in uh, Le Mans. But there's one other that I mentioned, and... Um, for those that don't know, I also have a capacity. I'm, I, I write covering motorcycle racing for the checkeredflag.co.uk. Um, and, mm. and this week, they sent us a, a sort of form for us all to fill in, which were for our sort of awards of the year. And Moment of the Year was one of them. And um, this kind of spoils it for anyone that reads on that website. But my Moment of the Year on that was Anna Carrasco winning the World Championship at Le Mans. Uh, sorry, at Le Mans. It mm. might be caught. Another wrong French trap. Um, but yeah, Anna Carrasco's world title. Um, 
not just because of the significance of the event, but just for how crazy and how tense that race was. Um, Dre already mentioned it earlier on. It was one of his nominees for the race of the year. Um, and I totally uh, agree with that being um, mentioned in the uh, in the shortlist. But Anna Carrasco had put herself into such a strong position in that World Championship where she'd won back-to-back races at Imola and Donington Park, um, a win that... Uh, that brought Hazel Southwell to tears as she uh, attended that very race weekend, um, uh-huh. drinking um, glass after glass of Prosecco. Um, but um, <laughs> she then saw that title weed whittle away as the regulations changed. We saw the Kawasaki's wings clipped as um, the World Superbike Commission realised that the Ninja 400 was slightly too uh, overpowered for its class um, and reined them back in a bit. Carrasco wouldn't win again. She wouldn't have a podium again. Um, as mm-hmm. the Galahars sort of came back to prominence. Um, but we shouldn't forget the circumstances of that race. And Carrasco qualified 25th for that final race of the season. Right. Um, she came through to 13th, which, based on what else happened, was enough just. Um, because, mm-hmm. of course, Scott Drew had the mechanical problem whilst running in second place. Uh, and then Mika Perez, who was a lap away from snatching the World Championship, doing a Kimi Raikkonen Brazil 2007 and oh, coming gotcha. that rank outsider to win the thought the whole thing was overtaken to goddess from home by Danny Valle to lose the race and with Carrasco finishing 13th that was enough for her to win the championship by one point um it was a, it was the kind of scenario that you could you couldn't have really scripted um but Carrasco got it done and it was a moment Dre that was significant not just in how it was achieved it was an incredible story in its own right whoever won the championship but it will be talked about for years and for decades to come, won't it, that, Dre, as the moment that we've had the first ever female solo motorcycle racing world champion. Um, it's an incredible moment. And, you know, it's, you know, we, we have, we, we've, we've talked a little bit about the cultural significance of maybe not so much in this show, but we, we certainly have in shows prior that Anna Carrasco has been a tremendous ambassador for women in motorsport for the last couple of years now. Um, you know, she you know, she didn't she didn't have you know, the landmark results in in Moto 3's World Championship, and it's proof that World Super Sport 300 can still make a name of somebody else in there as well. And Carrasco was always a talented rider, no doubt about it. Um, but in in this field, she shined, and that that weekend at Imola was one of the most single impressive weekends I've ever seen for a bike rider. She she made a mockery of a bunch of dudes, a bunch of meatheads. Yeah, it was a super beat him down as I as I as I saw him, and not only that, but the fact that the guys are acting all like meatheads, like thinking, oh, we're just going to tell off each other. And Carrasco just ran laps and was just ridiculously fast on her own the whole weekend, and then she completely slaughtered the field to the point when she was a second a lap faster than everybody else. It was one of the single most impressive things I've seen in bike racing in quite some time, and and. This is a big deal. This is a massive deal. I mean, we've said it time and time again on here on a Motorsport 101. There is cultural significance to this. As much as we want to deny it, and as much as we don't like to admit it, but it's true, it is a male-dominated sport. It's a male-dominated industry across the board. Um, and to have an individual female world champion like Anna Carrasco is a fantastic advert for the sport in general. Um, it got mainstream news coverage all over the world. The New York Times was writing about this at the time as well, about again just how phenomenal um, 
she was and just what an, an ambassador she was for women in the sport and proof that you know girls can make it and and in years to come, you know, it, and I, I think we will get more women coming through and taking part in motorsport. We will look back at Anna Carrasco as one of the revolutionaries that got it to this point in the modern day era of bike racing. And like, I, I hope we remember that for a very long time because it is very, very important. Hmm. Uh, in terms of any other nominations, I mean, Ray and Sykes in Bruneau, um, as yeah. you mentioned, Dre was one of yours. Any other um, nominations that you can add to the pot for moment of the year? To, to be fair, you already had two of mine. Like again, you like again, I had Marquez. Marquez in Argentina was like it. It was both sides of the coin of of what of what, Mar, of what makes Mar Marquez the dangerous genius that he is sometimes. Where you know it, it was almost like a throwback weekend where he was so destructively fast, a second a lap faster than anybody else. It was. It was ridiculous. He's always been a weapon in Argentina, even more than than, than, than other tracks. He, he he is stupid fast. Cam's round, added another Matt Marquez one, by the way, in the Discord chat. His um, seventh world title, and that, I'm assuming by that he's also adding the level seven video game celebration that followed. Oh, genius! That that, that was genius, but um, that's, that's absolutely a fair shout because uh, that video game celebration was fantastic. It was so creative, and, and Scott Reddy dislocated his shoulder. Somehow, yeah, apart from that, and somehow only the second best celebration that year. Shout out to Jonathan Ray and Magni Cool, which I yeah. also mentioned um, for the brilliant um, post celebration that he had on the table, um, where. <laughs> yeah, he, yeah, the the, the all-in celebration. I thought that was genius from 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 Jonathan Ray and the boys on that one. But uh, I mean, you covered most of them for me already, there, Lewis. Again, I, I my full list was Marquez in Argentina, MotoGP's debut in Thailand, Jakob Kornfall super save um, at, um, at at Le Mans, which was just ridiculous. And again, sport went viral for that very reason alone. The guy basically took flight um, and, and, and survived um, the, one of the greatest saves I've ever seen. And yeah, Jonathan Rain, Tom Sykes colliding at Bruno. Those are the ones that are in there. Um, so how do so, we yeah. begin to pick a winner out of that lot? Um, um, good luck with that. Hmm. Um, to Discord. No, I'm on the joke. Um, it's, yeah, I mean... <laughs> For me, it's between... Well, they're very different uh, moments, aren't they? Confile was the sort of... The, the funny sort of take your breath away moment. Rossi Marquez was the one that I think is the most notorious incident. The incident that I think got us all talking um, more than any other. And Anna Carrasco, of course, it's a moment that has a huge significance for just motorcycle racing as a whole. Oh, gotcha. Um... This is tough. This is tough. Um, should we go Carrasco on this one? Yeah, let's go Carrasco. I like that. Yeah. I, it's, she's, yeah. Yeah, she, I mean, not just the fact that she won it, but how she won it as well was was, was remarkable. Um, and it yeah, was Hollywood. It, was, it was Hollywood. It was Hollywood. There are no doubt going to be books and movies written about this in the future. And, and we can only hope that this is a moment that does actually open the floodgates for the future that we have more um, women competing at this level in motorcycle racing. Of course, Maria Herrera will be uh, competing in the Moto E World Cup next season, so she could make her own piece of history next year uh, in that championship. Um, and yeah, uh, we shall see what this leads to uh, in the future. But yeah, Anna mm -hmm. Carrasco's uh, maiden world championship and the history that she made at Magni Corps uh, is our moment of the year 2018. 
and that leaves us with one award to go. Uh, the rider of the year, the the big one, the the award that um, we always say to last on this show. It, in many years, this is quite an easy one. There are usually there is usually one standout name. I think from memory, Jonathan Ray won this at a landslide last year. Um, right now, he certainly deserves a mention this year. Rather than nail our colours to the mast immediately. Um, as Cam has in the Discord. For those listening in live, you already know who he said. Um, we'll, we'll get to him. Um, but um, I've got four names written down, Dre. Uh, and we'll start with Jonathan Ray. Um, mm-hmm. Last year's winner of this award and the, the World Superbike Champion for the fourth year in a row. Um, the unquestionable best superbike rider of this generation. And surely now, with his achievements in 2018, he now has the most convincing argument to be the greatest world superbike rider of all time. Yeah, and there's no doubt about it. Four straight titles, and that's never been done. The, the all-time wins leader, the single-season wins record. I mean, again, this was the year that the sport was meant to catch him up, and it just did not happen. He, he would just go on and just go on a tear. Um, it, it was incredible in that sense. Um, like, this was meant to be the year they were meant to stop it, but he ended up winning the championship by almost 200 points. Um, he's incredible. And I, and again, Kawasaki deserves a heap of praise in, in this because we're able to overcome, adapt, and win. It was it sounded cliche on the bike at the time about the whole ninja theory, but it ended up being precisely what they did, and it was so effective. Again, they were utterly brilliant in how, in, in how they went about themselves. And Jonathan... I mean, again, was is just an incredible, incredible superbike rider. To win eleven straight in any discipline of motorsport is insanely difficult. Um, and Jonathan to do it, and it looks like he was doing it with one hand tied behind his back at one point. It was, it was sensational. He 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 he's just so good at this, and you know, I have a feeling this might continue for another couple. Of- if they're basically inventing races and changing weekend formats in a new attempt to try and stop well, that's him. It. That's what I was about to say. You know you yeah. know, you are dominating a series to a, a worrying extent when the regulations are pretty much being changed year on year to try and stop you. you. And Bust. Cam brings yeah. up a great point just now in the chat by saying hashtag no personality. This was the year right. when one of the um, very head honchos of World Superbikes as a sport claimed he had a lack of charisma. And um, boy, yeah. did he come up with a great response at Magnicor. Yes, with that brilliant poker t- poker table celebration, oh, which was which was uh, straight out of the Valentino Rossi playbook, which was just genius um, in every sense of the word. There, and yeah, not bad for a guy of apparently no personality. It was it was sensational, and uh, a sensational gritty response from a guy that is. You know, been on BBC Breakfast, went viral for talking about how he didn't have a riding license, and that written his own book. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. you know, not bad for a guy that apparently has no personality, and he's now been nominated for sports autobiography of the year as well. So, um, for a guy with no personality, he ain't none off bad for himself this year. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, a salute to Jonathan Ray, who, without doubt, for me, is the greatest superbike rider that's ever walked this earth, and is. Now I think the the measure of dominance in mainstream motorsport now, where like if, I think any dominant situation we're now comparing it to 
right because he's just that frigging good. Mm. It's just it's, it's as simple as that. I mean, how do you beat this man? Answers on a postcard, please. Mm. Yeah, uh, well, yeah. The, the, the only answer I've written down at the minute is Alvaro Bautista, question mark. We'll, we'll see next season if he can uh, close that More gap. More rats of hope than expectation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's uh, why I had the question mark. It's, yeah, I, I think you're right. He's going to... Well, he starts next season, obviously, as the very short odds on favourite to uh, to win a fifth mm-hmm. title next year, a fifth in a row. In 2019, of course, it's going to be uh, a new playing field again in World Superbikes with um, extra races that, of course, will count for championship points, but not for overall records, as we've already mentioned, mm-hmm. with the Super Bowl race. Um, the 10-lap sprint race that will happen on Sunday morning of every race weekend in World yeah. Superbikes, which, as I've already said, in, in itself will no doubt be a very exciting spectacle, but it's it's the it's the, the bells and whistles that come with it that I think leave a bit of a sour taste. Um, with right. the, with the lack of it counting towards records and such like, um, but uh, there are new challenges on the rider front with Bautista coming across. There are new challenges um, mechanically, manufacture wise, with um, the brand new BMW led by uh, Johnny Ray's best mate Tom Sykes. Um, we have um, HRC putting a little bit more effort into it next season as well with the Altea team led by Leon Camia and Yuichi Kianari. Um Yamaha will no doubt be looking to make that next step from uh, occasional winners to regular winners next season. I think that's got to be their aim next season. Um, and I think they'll be aiming to be the clear number two team to Kawasaki uh, next season. Yamaha, that's got to be their aim. We've got the new Panigale V4, which is supposedly oh, a rocket it. ship. Uh, it's a it's a production bike with wings on it, for goodness sake. Um, yeah, production so, bike with wings and 221 horsepower on it. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> that bike has pretty much been, been built exclusively to beat Jonathan Ray. Um, so uh, so we look forward to that as well. But uh, yeah, there's so much to look forward to, but Jonathan Ray unquestionably starts as the man uh, to beat. This is kind of like that, that bit of the Oscars where they say, and the nominees are. Um, so the next one uh, is Jonathan Ray's teammate of next season, Leon Haslam. Yes. Who won the British Superbike Championship by a mile. He pretty much broke the showdown format. Yeah, he basically, what was left of it after Josh Brooks handled it three years ago was obliterated by Leon Haslam, basically. And Haslam um, just proving that it doesn't matter what format you have, if you're that good, you will win. It had is we not a had a showdown, he would have won the championship seven races out. Yeah, at Alton Park, um, in, in what, what was the showdown period, basically. Um, yeah, he, like this had been a long time coming for Leon, and Leon has been a phenomenal rider for quite some time um, in a plethora of series, from you know, from MotoGP to, to, to World Superbikes and now the British Superbike season. Um, he had got on along superbly with Kawasaki for the last couple of years, and we... We saw the heartbreak last year when he came so desperately close to winning that title and losing out by five points in the end. Not even finishing runner-up, he was third that season to Josh Brooks. He very nearly stole it and went and ran home, like something out of a wrestling angle, um, basically, um, hijacking the title. But we all felt... We all felt Haslam's heartbreak at the end of that season. It wasn't even his fault, really. A bad tire choice from his team, and then his brakes failing at 170 miles an hour on the final race of the season um, in, a, in a terrifying accident. Um, luckily, I think a, a broken wrist and ankle is the worst of it. But uh, we were wondering, would this ever happen again with Shaky Byrne being so dominant? But of course, 
you know, Shaky was out of the picture this year. But even without that, which I know is obviously going to be brought up, which is a fair thing to bring up because Shaky has been the face of BSB and has been the gold standard for the series for the last half decade um, or more, you could even argue. But in any case, you can only beat what they put in front of you. And Haslam destroyed what was meant to be one of the like, really exciting BSB fields of our era. Um, and, you know, in a, in a field that had talented, you know, younger stars than him, like, like O'Halloran and, and Mossy and Ray and Irwin and, and, and what have you, and Hickman, guys who are brilliant in, on, on tracks and on roads as well. We, f- we forget about that. I mean, we, we've often talked about how the BSB field, I think, is every bit as good as the world field in terms of sheer overall rider quality. And it showed again here. He was utterly brilliant. Um, and... He, it never looked like he wasn't going to win the championship by around the halfway mark. He just went on a tear and he just could not be stopped. Um, again, just again, completely broke the format in that sense. Just utterly, utterly superb in every way. And I'm, I personally am delighted that Hasm finally has won a major title for the first time in what 15, 15 odd years plus. Um, it's been a long time coming, and I'm glad he finally got his moment. It was much deserved. And he's he's earned himself a, a return to the World Superbike paddock, and he's clearly worked himself into a position where he is highly regarded and highly trusted by Kawasaki's top brass, that they, they wanted to put him back into their World Superbike team um, because they value his, his input, his performance, and his talent that much, even at the, um, the stage of his career he's in. I mean, he's, what, 37 by now, I want to say, Dre? Uh, I think I think that's 30, 36, I want to say. Hang on, uh, quick Google search. He's, he, he's no 35. spring chicken. He's 35, so he's still no spring chicken. It's very rare that you see a rider. Uh, I know Kianari's kind of doing it as well, but that's like, for very mm. different reasons. Um, earning himself a return to a world championship level at such a late stage in their career, um, mm-hmm. which, which is a measure of how good um, Leon Haslam has been um, this mm-hmm. year and for a couple of years now for Kawasaki because of course oh, he, was, he was heroic for them at the 8 hour in 2017 pretty much riding Jesus. on his own for them um, and again this year um, a perfect foil for Jonathan Ray in that Team Green uh, number 11 squad and I think he'll again as I mentioned earlier on he will provide a, a terrific teammate to Jonathan Ray next season in the World Superbikes Leon has them, I'm sure, in his own heart and in his own mind, he's going there to try and win the world championship. And I, and I, I mm-hmm. don't blame him for having that attitude. You've got to have that attitude if you're a rider of his calibre. But ultimately, I, I could see him uh, ultimately playing a, a, a very strong supporting role for Jonathan Ray, even if that's not really what he uh, wants to uh, be be tagged as. Um, mm-hmm. I've got two of the nominations, and um, I don't think there's any advance on these other two, are there, Dre, that, that I'm going to mention? The first of which is Francesco Bagnaia. Um, we're saving one oh, to yeah. last for, I think, a very obvious reason. Um, mm-hmm. But Francesco Bagnaia, um, the Moto2 champion, who um, kind of served notice as to how good he was going to be in his rookie Moto2 season because he was already on the podium as early as his, what, his fourth or fifth Moto2 race um, right. back in 2017. Uh, but this year, he saw the challenge of... Miguel Oliveira, who I think was many, including myself, hot favourite for this year's championship. Um, he was. After seeing him finish the 2017 season the way he did. Um, mm-hmm. But he saw that challenge and ultimately came out a very strong uh, winner in that battle with Miguel Oliveira. Oliveira had by no means a poor season. He was terrific. Uh, and he scored 
what he's got 300 points which usually wins you a championship but it's a measure of how good Banyaya is that even that wasn't enough right it's Francisco Banyaya looks like if you wanted to build a mold for what a future MotoGP world champion would look like it would probably look something like Francisco Banyaya there's no obvious weakness with him no, there is, there is no real hole in his game. He is just an excellent all-round bike rider. A solid qualifier. Um, his racecraft, he, he proved in those tricky races like in Austria, he could win the scrappier races as well. His pace, friggin' metronomic and, and incredible. He, he can turn races into time trials like no one else I've seen in Moto2 in quite some time. Very Rabat-esque in that sense. Where once he hit the front, he was in, almost in, in, unstoppable to beat in that sense. Won eight races in Moto2, which is so hard to do in a series that is so close and so competitive. Um, he, ticks, he ticks every box as a bike rider. He really does. He, I think he is going to be a future world champion one day. With Ducati, if he Ducati is Ducati, isn't he? Surely, I, I think he is. I mean, no disrespect to Danilo Petrucci and Andrea Davizioso, who are great riders, and that's a great factory team for Ducati going forward. That kid's your future. That could be that could be your guy for the next decade. And um, if he is half the rider that we all think he is, he is going to be phenomenal in MotoGP. He is the blueprint. He is the blueprint for what I think a great rider looks like. And um, again, again, I, I have to give Oliveira his due. Again, he mm. was the favourite going in, but he's a he's a, a different. How do you sort score two hundred ninety-seven points and still not win the championship? That's insane. That's like like three hundred points is normally enough. And like Oliveira had a brilliant season, a, a season of consistency and solid results in the qualifying, probably let him down maybe one too many times, but ultimately it ended up being a, a lot closer gave it credit for they're both phenomenal miguel deserves an honorable mention on this list mm. for basically just being an excellent excellent moto 2 rider and very nearly stealing that title right at the end um but i completely agree banyaya is the blueprint for what i think a great moto gp rider could look like and he is going to be terrifyingly good by all accounts um if this keeps up. So, um, yeah, absolutely a, a viable contender for um, for either of the year. He's he's an immensely talented guy. Scary good, basically. Yeah, as we've already touched on, he's already been troubling the top 10 um, and on occasions the top six in MotoGP testing um, on his first four days riding a factory MotoGP bike. Um, mm. In fact, he's not even riding that. He's riding the year-old bike. He's riding the 2018 Ducati. He won't even go yeah, the 2019 bike next year. Um, Jack Miller will be uh, will be sitting slightly uncomfortably in his seat at the moment, knowing that he's got him as a teammate next year, because um, Banyaya is that. coming uh, very very quickly um, in his rearview mirrors. Um, one other nomination, I think that we can uh, both agree on, um, and it comes from MotoGP. Um, he's he is ripping up record books. He's now a seven times world champion. Um, he's got an electrifying style on a bike. Um, that you know you could watch him ride around an empty racetrack and still be entertained. Um, Dre Mar- Marquez, the 2018 MotoGP champion and the rider of the year. It's a tough one. I think it's been between the two. And last year I went Jonathan Ray because I think the, the so historical significance, yeah, the historical significance of the treble. I think and three consecutive was massive. And hey, it showed he was runner-up in sports personality that year as well. After a lot of people... 
I'm going to go the other way this year. I'm going to say Mark Marquez. Um, yeah, I agree. And he, he is my rider of the year. This is no smite on Jonathan, who put together arguably the greatest single world superbike season we've ever seen. Um, probably will ever see the way this is going. But there's one big difference here. Kawasaki and Jonathan Ray have all the resources under the sun in the context of that championship to win. Mark Marquez, I still argue, is on the second best bike. And I still think that reps, he, I think he masked a lot of a lot of that Honda's fundamental problems. I remember Neil Spolders talked about it during the test, where he said that bike is now so specialized for Marquez because of just how brilliant he is. And how can it not be when he's had such phenomenal success in riding the way he is? And if anything, I think this year cemented just what a once-in-a-generation talent we have right here. This is the Mark Marquez era. It was, I think Susie Perry brought it up during Mategi, the race he would go on to win the title. This is the Marquez era. And this is the... This, this is Marquez cementing a dynasty. Five championships in the last six years and just overall just... and He's a cheat code. There is no other way to describe it. He has broken this sport. And let's not exaggerate here. We are talking about him not being on the best bike, at least in my opinion. Anyway, I think the Ducati is a fundamentally yeah, sound bike. It's the one of the strongest fields of MotoGP for talent I think we have ever seen. Dovi, Rossi, Vinales, Rins, Crutchlow, Zarco, you know, Miller, Petrucci. It is a stacked field. I mean, they, they talked about it next year. We're going to have 12 out of 22 riders be world champions next year. I mean, we've all seen those MotoGP video gaming, those big season intros they do where they run down the field, and you can just see it just oozes class and quality and Marquez is is crushing all of these dudes the the saves the phenomenal pace the fact he's the only guy in the world that can save a crash on his knee and his elbow like this consistently he is the ultimate MotoGP ride I said it during that race at Mategi he might be the best we have ever seen walk this earth and as Cam points out on the Discord, the next nearest Honda was Crutchlow in seventh. Like, he's the only guy in the world who can do this. Yeah, <laughs> like, Crutchlow had less than half the points of Matt Marquez. He crushed them all into pillars of salt. Um, and he ended up winning this championship by 70-plus points. It could have easily been 100 if he wasn't trying so hard in Valencia. Um he only had a couple of real mistakes all season long. And I, I, I think he's the most naturally talented rider we've ever seen. And I think this, he's still only 25. Like, he's got another decade of this if he wants it. He is broken. Everything about him has broken this sport. And I, and I mean that in a good way because I don't think we've ever seen anything like it. And he is becoming an icon of this sport that there is no other way of describing it i don't think we'd ever I, I remember when rossi kind of started to wind it down i thought are we ever going to see someone like him again and i think we are i think we're seeing it right now with our very eyes 
I think, for being the poster boy of a sport that has tried its absolute hardest to be a sport of competition and and parity and and fairness in the last three years, or it's deliberately tried to make the sport more competitive and tried to hype up more the field more than anything else as opposed to one guy i mean they're clearly thinking of a post rossi world but we're not quite in that generation yet Mm. marquez has been the poster boy of this era this is the mark marquez era and i believe that is why he is our bike live rider of the year for 2018 he is mark marquez uh wins it and yeah he's i already said at the top he's he's absolutely electrifying to watch he's a rider that and it's still, except me, the the fallout from 2015, which I don't think will ever ultimately go away until Valentino Rossi goes away um, from MotoGP. Not that I'm wishing that to happen, um, because Valentino Rossi is so big. And he's, you know, the sport will never be the same without him. But there is still an atmosphere around Mark Marquez where he still does occasionally get booed when he goes to racetracks. And I remember saying this around this time last year when we reviewed the MotoGP season that it, it still annoyed me because he's so damn likable. Um, is Mark Marquez on a, on a race on the bike and off it um, I mean his, his style is so great to watch, he's such an entertaining rider on the track um, he's such a fun guy off it the way he speaks to the, you know, the way he interacts with Andrea Vizioso is, is is terrific and a great advert for our sport um, and mm-hmm. yeah he's he is the rider that the sport should be building itself around but I think until um, Valentino, the shadow of Valentino Rossi and the shadow of Sepang 2015 goes away I don't ultimately fear that that is going to happen um, which I think is a, is a real shame but, but Mark Marquez is our rider of the year and he is you know, he's going to be one of the greatest riders this sport has ever seen if he isn't already um, he yeah. has seven Grand Prix World Championships and counting Mark Marquez the rider of the year uh, for 2018 uh, and that completes 2018 uh, here on bike live we will be back um we'll be back for uh, another show pretty much in the uh, as soon as the new year comes around so pretty much when big ben strikes we'll know that have a new show we're planning to record one sometime after christmas um mm-hmm. what kind of show that's going to be we wait and see we've we've batted a few ideas around but we'll uh, we'll firm things up we've got a few weeks now between now and the new year to uh, to come up with something um, so yeah, yeah, don't worry. We're going away, but not for long. We'll be back um, in 2019, and we mean uh, as soon as 2019. We're not going to wait all the way until March or until uh, these World Superbikes returns to, uh, to talk to you again. We'll be back in the new year uh, with mm-hmm. Bike Live. Between now and then, though, Motorsport 101 continues um, with the Motorsport 101 Awards. Just as if you didn't like your award shows enough, we have more to come. Um, uh, and Dre's already suggested that it may well be Christmas Day that you get this podcast. It's going to be recorded before then for those of you that like to listen in live on Discord. Uh, sometime yep. next week keep your eye on this probably, very stream probably tuesday yeah most likely tuesday but keep an eye on our social media channels and this very discord server for firm information on that uh, we'll confirm it to you as and when it's available but dre um another fun show to record the motorsport 101 awards to come next week and uh as we've seen very recently uh some making late bids for the golden cock Yes, uh, Ryan King here trying not to score um, certain backup wingmen 10 out of 10 scores for season reviews. It might be a bit of a problem going forward. Um, again, I, I'm calling a vote of no confidence on King, um, <laughs> basically. Um, but uh, yeah, episode 174 will be our Motorsport 101, our, fir- our fourth annual Motorsport 101 award show. Um, <laughs> um, and it, it should be a fun time indeed. Um, Hosted by... Hosted by and uh, 
I can't believe I'm saying this. Adam Johnson will be hosting the awards show. Um, the Drift King himself and the and the leader of the arcade, Adam Johnson, will be back to host the awards show next week. So, um, yeah, the original gang and I guess all three generations of Motorsport 101 will be on the same podcast for the first time in, well, maybe ever, actually. It's kind of significant on that one. We're getting the band back together on this one, and I can't wait for that to happen. And uh, we'll hand out some awards, Overtaker of the Year, um, Racer of the Year, Rider of the um, and whatnot. Um, and, of course, the infamous Golden Cock uh, will be handed out as well um, as the year goes on. It's it's going to be hilarious. It's going to be fun. And uh, that'll be up sometime around Christmas. I'll keep, keep posting on our social media about that um but in the meantime i just would just to say as well this is probably going to be our final bike live of the year thanks to everyone that has listened in over to over 2018 it's been an absolute pleasure once again um to 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 be in your homes to be in your ears to be to to be wherever you want it to be it's it's been an incredible incredibly fun year for bike racing especially when you consider we didn't have a season we didn't have an epic title finale really in any of the major challenges except for except for maybe world super sport um but it's it's been an absolute pleasure once again to do this and and we're getting close to 100 shows of Bike Live on Motorsport 101 already, which is, you know, also kind of terrifying in that sense. Yeah, it's going to be sometime um, in the spring next year we're going to uh, we're going to hit that uh, milestone. Yes. So, uh, um, so yeah, it's, keep uh, an eye out for that. But, uh, but yeah, to echo everything that, that, that Dre said, a huge thank you to everyone who's listened in, um, either live here on the Discord server, everyone who's downloading an episode of this podcast. Um, we appreciate your support. A huge thank you to everyone Um who has appeared on this show? Um, to Rebecca A massive fucking thanks to Greg Hayes. Yeah, Rebecca James, Greg Haynes, yeah. who has um, almost become our third panelist now uh, with the amount of times he's appeared on this show. A huge thanks to Greg for his continued support. Um, to Patrick <laughs> Hofstetter, to Ryan King, um, who's also appeared on this podcast, including last week um, mm-hmm. or a couple of weeks ago with the, uh, the KTM Love Fest that followed Valencia. <laughs> um, so a uh, huge thank you to everybody uh, who has um, made this show so much fun to be part of including yourself Dre um, it's, it's a pleasure to share this podcast with you each and every week we will be back as I mentioned in the new year um, for have a Black lovely Black. Christmas everybody have a lovely Christmas uh, enjoy the darts uh, and we'll see you in yes, 2019 sir. bye from us sorry an hour <laughs>